The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. Nothing <laughs> like the applause of our adoring fans to give me a little jolt and a wake up. Indeed. Personally, I have tea. <laughs> um, but also the adoring fans are, are also uh, great. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Come Book Chronicles. Um, I am your host, Roddy Cat. You can find me at Roddy Cat on Twitter. You can find me News Nurse Need on Twitter. You can also find me at CB Caps on Instagram. South Carolina with Columbia down the way. <laughs> and that sound effects sound effect comes from none other than our man in brooklyn crooklyn's finest one agent underscore 70 on twitter and instagram what's up everybody indeed i'm actually glad i didn't say that because i figured that probably would have been one of the polls he had uh (laughs) he had gone with um first of all uh i guess i'll all right off the top though uh, well, actually, no, <laughs> I get into the rest of this real quick. Sorry, before I say what I was about to say, but and that was also for me to cover up what I just did. But uh, you can find this here program on the Coast Leather Podcast Network at CSPN.us. Do it today. You could also find this here podcast on your podcast perusal, uh, place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes. Uh, Spotify, or the Cole Slither Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. And again, speaking of SoundCloud, if you're watching the show on SoundCloud, you will probably note that the uh, episode from last week has been split into two for some reason. I think SoundCloud was having a technical issue, and I guess for some reason it just went up that way. Or it got split up that way for a reason. So, But hey, enjoy it either way. And if not, you know, you can always uh, believe the the file is up singularly on the other places mentioned. Or at least on... Actually, I should probably check that before I've said that thing, but it should be up on the site in, in one single file. Regardless, um, uh, we're also recording live on uh, uh, the Twitter, or the on the tweets, on the, not the tweets, excuse me, on the Twitches, that's twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles. Yeah, kinda. And your audio is kind of ducking out for some reason. Uh, but also, uh, we are streaming live on uh, YouTube dot 
com slash the the click nation that's d-k-l-i-q-n-a-t-i-o-n so welcome everybody from both of those places uh we folks are going to start off with uh we normally start off with um the books of the week but we're going to pivot a little early into um not necessarily cinematic news, but a little bit of Mandalorian talk. But before I even say that, I t- almost totally forgot to mention that Happy Thanksgiving for to uh, everybody who said you know celebrated or Happy Turkey Day or Happy Indigenous People Morning Day or something or whatever. So people have been saying, but regardless, you know that's why we didn't record on Thursday like we normally do. But we said this last week. Uh, hopefully, your day was well spent and probably well fed. probably hopefully for too much but uh yeah i've got leftovers in my refrigerator i hope you do too um well yeah exactly or and yeah, hopefully the leftovers are uh that you have are you know versatile <laughs> let's say you know you can use that turkey for a few different things that stuff in a cranberry you can make sandwiches you know yada 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 you know what to do or if you as i know a couple of people went a little bit non-traditional and had like lasagna and whatever so shout out um you know it's all good regardless of whether you know you spend the day you know uh if you're in the u.s you know being thankful or if you're other ways does and it's just a, it's just a thursday or whatever the case may be hopefully your day was good all the way but regardless we are going to start off with uh, talking about this week's and last week's episodes of The Mandalorian. But probably, uh, if you want not to be spoiled, probably duck ahead to probably a good, let's say, 20 minutes. Yeah, uh, just about. I'm going to ring the spoiler bell, but uh, yeah, you're going to need to jump ahead because we're going to talk about two episodes this week. Both episodes uh, four and five or chapters 12 and 13, respectively. Right, and usually, and there's a there's a usually a spoiler tag like right before the audio anyway, which I probably should try to put on the video, but I'll think about that at some other time. So, um, episode four, aka um, chapter twelve. Twelve. Thank you. I was like, wait, I'm mixing them up. One second. There we go. Uh, so actually, I mean, this one. Like yes, yeah, so there's some there's some things as we talked about before the show. There are some revelations that came out that came out in this uh, particular episode, but the the bigger one is the one that is the the one from this week that just mm-hmm. dropped uh, tonight as of this recording. But um, brief strokes are that you know after the events of uh, you know trying to get his uh, ship fixed and not that well, um, Dan Corians and and Mon Calamari don't know how, well excuse me it was the Mon Calamari actually who who messed up who didn't quite fix up his ship um, they use like you know duct tape and bailing wire like, basically that's basically you know there was a nautical theme going on in the ship that, that wasn't very much appreciated but we go into this uh, this episode with um, uh, then uh, uh, trying to get the uh, trying to get baby Yoda to uh, do a little wiring job in a in a space that's too small for him, and that was a very cute scene. But also potentially, I was like, "Oh Lord, don't let the <laughs> don't let the kid be shocked." And it and yeah, things happened anyway. But it was cute. 
so finally, so they were like, okay, well, that's not going to happen. So we need to get the ship fixed. We're going to end up going back to a place where we've been before, uh, which was Navarro, uh, where where uh, we get met with uh, uh, one Grief Karga and uh, Cara Dune, which I'm just going to go ahead and put this out of the way right now. This episode would be would have been a little bit, a lot bit better without uh, so much Gina Carano in it, but that's for totally other reasons. As you, if you've been watching paying attention to social media for um you know outside of that she's she's losing your work but that's beside the point she's you know whatever terrible people terrible um but yeah so we see uh and a a fight scene well we thought we were gonna see uh because we see we go back to where the armorer was uh and we see some i can't remember the name of that race uh, that are basically looting the place where the armorer was um, at the end of last season. Um, and I, I meant to look that up, and I totally, totally did not. But regardless, we see some folks looting the place, and we see uh, one Caradoon comes in and bust up, and you know, bust up the uh, the looting racket that was going on here. And she also meets up with a new little weasel-looking friend, another species that I don't know too much about, also. Um, I don't know if that's new to the Star Wars thing series, but it looks kind of look like a little ferret, a little furry ferret looking thing. But then we get title card and then we, we get to um, the, the Mandalorian landing where, you know, it's like, I need repairs. And like, cool, you need repairs. We need something done. And they got this mission to go to this, you know, very convenient Imperial base that just so happens to be not too far away. Uh, that it needs to be cleared out, so they can get the rest of the um, Imperial folks out of there, so that the so that the Navarro can be released. Because apparently they've taken less to clean up uh, clean up the place, and the the place looks like it's, it's drive, thriving so far. So, a um, little hesitation, but the Mandalorian agrees to go on this mission. Leaves the baby, leaves the baby Yoda with uh, in a school that was set up. Um, and of course he gets into a little mischief there a little, little bit later on with, with this other kid and some, I'm assuming that's candy. I don't even know what that was. That kid was eating looked like a big, uh, piece of chalk or, I or, to, uh, I think it Smarties. looked like a, I was about to say it looked like a recolored macaroon, you know, it looked like a cookie. So yeah. Cause at first when it was, when it was eating out of the thing, it looked like kind of looked like what, like a bigger version of those, uh, not Smarties, but whatever those bigger, bigger, bigger versions of Smarties, like the, um, Oh, like an actual type of candy. Yeah, now, I actually read that. I actually read that to be like a roll of cookies. You know, like some, you know, something, something that you would normally find packaged in. You know, like a to go. Yeah. You know, for kids, like for a their lunch of, uh, Yeah, yeah. So you know, like a six pack of Oreos or cookies or whatever. So sure. you know, that's why I interpreted that particular snack food. So and it when, makes sense, um, right? So when the child has. Um, you know too many of these cookies let's say <laughs> yeah we'll get that in a second um so yeah so action he has yeah so yeah the um the, so the, yeah so baby Yoda has this little his little but he eventually rests the um <laughs> rest these cookies candies whatever that thing was um from the other kid which was kind of cute anyway we'll go back to the to the mission in hand um uh, the Mandalorian, Grief, and, and Kara go off to the thing with this other character from, I think, the first episode of The Mandalorian that he caught. Right. I believe he was the very first bounty that we are introduced to. Yeah. 
the, in the show. So Which, it's kind of funny that he comes back. This is uh, – wait, this isn't Horatio Sands' yes, character, it is. is it? Yeah, it is. It is. I had totally forgotten about that because I thought it was uh, John Favreau because it kind of sounded like him. But I was like, no, that was that was uh, Sands. <laughs> no, I was about to say – well, I was about to say the, they killed off John Favreau's character in Clone Wars, so – yeah, well, I mean, they but he could have him doing something else, you know, and like you know, especially under under um, you know, under um, makeup or whatnot. But under his own direction, I know. Basically, back. I mean, just, hey, it's not the first time this happened with folks, so especially yeah. in this series. Um, hence the next. Well, yeah, because hence this episode. Because actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because this episode was directed by Carl Weathers, who plays Greg Carga. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, so they all go to this base and, you know, there's, uh, and long story short, they, they pretty much finish their, their mission by trying to blow up the place because it's next to a lava thing. And so they go in there, it was like, well, we're going to, you know, cause the machine to show it out. So therefore the, the, the lava will make the place blow up because it needs to be cold and that's that. But of course they meet up with some stormtrooper resistance, but also not before finding out, um, that well we basically find out without getting too 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 terrible for we're kind of already going through it basically we find out what moth gideon is wanting um baby yoda for and there's a couple of competing theories out there as to what and they both could be honestly there's nothing wrong with both of them being pretty much in one to the same but uh there's Oh, I was about to say, go uh, finish your thought, and then, well, we we should talk about since we rang the spoiler bell, we should talk about what the Doctor character from the first episode of the Mandalorian, or the se- first and second, I think, episodes of the Mandalorian reveals, right? And that's what leads to these theories, right? Well, yeah, basically, like I, said, I pretty much just said it without going through through, through the, the long story, but yes, so yeah, they come across a hollow vid of the Doctor from the first season that was working with, um. Um, was that Werner Herzog's character? Yeah. Um, but yeah, in, in the beginning, uh, that started this kind of whole thing off. Uh, and he was talking about he was basically reporting to Moth Gideon about the f- failures of what project they're doing because when the when the Mandalorian and company came along, they were in this lab looking place. They come to find out that this base was not necessarily a, a, a Ford operated base, but a lab working on a secret project. And there was a bunch of tubes uh, with, uh, you know, looks like they were growing, uh, growing um, uh, soldiers. Some, there's been one theory out there that was saying that this could also be part of uh, the program that led to Snoke. Uh, and that is that is a preventing theory because basically what happens was the, the doctor said to say, "Hey, the test subjects that we were using with Baby Yoda's blood, which is why they needed Baby Yoda, uh, because he has a high M count. And if you don't know what that is, we don't, you know, that's that's all another thing. That's a a thing with Star Wars that we really don't like to talk about too much. But um, weird, it's ugly head again after the prequel. Exactly, but um, so the subject with the high M count, which which in this case would be Baby Yoda, they didn't have a whole lot of blood doings, and uh, all of the tests that they have done, the, the projects that they have done with said blood haven't quite worked it out with the exception of one, but even that one kind of didn't work out um, 
for that long. Uh, and like I said, this is leading some people to speculate that it might be, uh, like I said, the, the, the program that led to end up Snoke being around. Uh, but there's another prevailing theory, which we'll get to in a second, because um, they find out this information, uh, you know, they get beset by stormtroopers trying to get out of the base because they only had a limited time to get out of the base. They finally got out of the base. Basically, the, the Mandalorian goes to get uh, Baby Yoda because he's in danger. You know, he's he was still in danger from um, them, you know, him being kind of out in the open and while they were out on the way. So while they were doing that, we see uh, Grief Kara and this other character whose name I don't, I'm not sure, getting away from the stormtroopers through this lava bed, well, through this uh, empty lava bed, uh, only to be uh, um, caught up with, uh, with uh, being chased by st- uh, TIE fighters, which they fight off at least one, uh, but then get saved by the uh, the Mandalorian in his now-fixed uh, Razor Crest, uh, Razor Crest. And leading into the end of the episode, which ends off with Moff Gideon getting a report about uh, said base uh, getting blown up, and that uh, which we kind of knew, which you kind of knew in early on in the episode uh, when uh, the, the Mandalorian was getting his ship fake fa- uh, fixed, somebody put uh, the one of the people put uh, that was fixing the ship put a plant uh, a tracker on the ship. So we found out that happened. We found out that, uh, you know, Moff Gideon finds out about the base, but we also see uh, in the background why he's getting this information, uh, line two, two columns of uh, death troopers, which we haven't seen. Well, we have seen technically, but, but, um, you know, rogue from one rogue one. And if you've been reading the comics then they've shown up in a couple other places, uh, but we see lines up of death troopers, which leads to the other theory that, uh, as agent 70 said before the program that, uh, he read the theory that they were, might be trying to, um, use baby Yoda's blood to make force sensitive stormtroopers, or in this case, death troopers who are already dead in the first place. So, so they've already been able to to resurrect folks to to for their to to use as troopers. So that's what the dust troopers are all about. But they're now trying to see if they can make them uh, uh, force sensitive, also. So that is the other theory that is that is going on. Both again, both could be true. So, and that's pretty much how that episode goes. I don't know if you had anything else to add on that. Only that the chase scene was pretty pretty fun. Once uh, grief. And uh, Grief Cargo, Cara Dune, and uh, whatchamacallit, Mithril, you know, the, the, the whatchamacallit, the, uh, the guy they captured. Yes. Uh, you know, it was a pretty good, good chasing that evolved from speeder bikes. You know, once they escape, they, uh, they go from being chased on, uh, by speeder bikes in that – that's the um, – whatchamacallit, that's the, uh, the vehicle that showed up in Clone Wars that was mm-hmm. like a proposed – The basically uh, a transport vehicle <laughs> slash uh, prisoner transport, yeah. The prototype toy that never made it to be a toy, but now it's been introduced into um, Star Wars canon by uh, Clone Wars and now um, the Mandalorian. Okay, that's cool. yeah, that chase scene was pretty fun. Yeah, I enjoyed that too. And somebody said it was like you know, there's something very somebody made this uh, made this um, mention on Twitter talking about chase scenes in Star Wars are so they're kind of soothing. They kind of are also because they're just fun. Just, just the sounds and you know the 
speeding up and the speed is going off. And of course, you know, you have a, the, the stormtroopers that uh, eventually wreck right, or, or get shot the, down. Right. And the sound of the TIE fighters in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It's kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like every all of the like everything about ch- chase scenes in um in in Star Wars are are pretty great normally, you know, especially because of the sounds. So that's pretty yeah. much that episode because we at the end of it we basically get to see the the Razor Crest because because even after everything is over and you know the um, uh, and before we get the thing with uh, Goff brought uh, um, Moff Gideon, you know, the mind is like I'm out. We got to get to this planet. That uh that we end up on with this next episode that came out today, right? So uh, in ch- in uh, chapter eleven, Bo-Katan had given um had given uh, the Mandalorian a goal uh, or a place to get to in order to reach a certain Jedi or someone who actually says in Clone Wars, "I am no Jedi," and I was waiting for that line in this episode. I'm glad you bring that. We'll bring that up at the at the end of this because yes, I'm glad you brought that up because that was a oh, point that kind of that kind of got me too. I'm sitting here like, wait, we know full well from the and this was uh this uh so chapter thirteen, uh episode five, uh of the Mandalorian, which is this week's episode uh, as of this airing that just came out today, uh, written and directed by Dave Filoni. So there is that. Right. Shout out to Dave Filoni, you know, the co-creator of Ahsoka Tano. Exactly. Who shows up very early on in <laughs> like we don't even we don't even get we don't even get any uh any any uh, build up to it. She's like, no, here we go. Boom. Yep, exactly. The reveal is right off the top. So which yeah, which I'm gonna go ahead and say, um I don't know so in Star Wars video games, particularly um the old republic there's uh, classes of Jedi and Sith. And I'm just going to say for those who know uh, those, for those who know that uh, MMO or even nice at all Republic, I guess Ahsoka would make a pretty good shadow uh, Jedi shadow. Even though I don't think that was technically what she, uh, you know, what she did. Cause obviously we know her as being pretty much upfront in the battle, you know, most of the time, but regardless, we see her, um, you know, in the shadows, taking out some 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 folks trying to find her in these uh, very spooky looking woods. And of course, uh, Ahsoka Tano is being played by Rosario Dawson, which we'll, I'll touch on that in a in a in a few minutes because I know there's been some things about or potential things about that. Let's just say, and that we kind of talked about last week, or yeah, or yeah, whatever it was. Regardless, she she's pretty much taking out these people and ends up uh, at this gate of this town where she's um, talking to uh, this person whose name we don't get right off the bat, but she is the we find out is the magistrate of this town, and she's uh, you might say she's holding this town hostage. I guess you could say. Uh, Ahsoka is looking for some information from this person. This person's like, I, how much is that information worth? These people don't mean anything to me. You might not, you know, don't come around here no more. Basically, <laughs> you know, if you, if you, if you care anything about these people, uh, Ahsoka's like, I'll be back in a day, which for Ahsoka, that's restraint. But then again, she has grown. So, you know, since the, since the, um, uh, even during the, the end of the Clone Wars, let's be honest. But, um, you know. Hey, let's get serious. We're actually post rebels at this point, so Ahsoka's yeah. come away. 
from when from when we were first introduced to her. Exactly. So, um, which also still goes back to that point that you just made too, because like even in Rebel, she's like, uh, that's when she was pretty much saying, like, I'm no Jedi, but in this, they kind of, you know, they're they're kind of not really um, laying on it too much, but at the same time, it's like they're just not they're not saying that much about that part about it. But regardless, um, well, there's a ways that it comes into play, right? So we can right. get when we'll we'll talk about it when we get to that part. Go on, right? So, um. Basically, the Mandalorian comes on, gets to the planet. He also ends up at this town and gets propositioned by this magistrate um, uh, person who offers up as payment uh, a spear made of pure Beskar, which apparently it might as well be adamantium in the, um, or not necessarily adamantium, but probably vibranium, I guess, at this point, I don't know, uh, of the Star Wars universe. Uh, because Beskar is, uh, is pretty much one of the few things that lightsabers don't cut through. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, um, which you know, I guess if you know the history of Mandalorians and 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 Jedi's, that's all of that bears off. So that's nothing new. But um, you know, she she proposes that she basically says, "Hey, there's this Jedi out there causing me problems. Go kill her." Uh, and of course, you know, um, the Mandalorian is looking for a Jedi, so he goes out there to look for her, but not necessarily to kill her. They meet, um, almost square off for a second, but don't happen, but it doesn't happen. Uh, <laughs> Ahsoka gets introduced to the child, uh, the baby Yoda, who we end up, who, you know, gets a connection to, because obviously she has seen one of his kind before. Uh, we also end up finding out and as I told uh, Agent 70 beforehand, I don't know what to do with this information anymore because we find out Baby Yoda's actual name thanks to Ahsoka. Um, which we won't spoil here because, again, you know, like I said, that might be something you want to... I mean, Grant, we're spoiling it anyway, but... Hey. Oh, that was perfect. There you go. So, um... So yeah, so Ahsoka and the child bond, and and you know the Mandalorian thinking, well, his uh, his his quest is over, but not yet, of course, because there's another side quest because he didn't uh, complete the mission that he went out there for in the first place. So he after um, after Ahsoka, you know, basically reads the the. the baby Yoda's mind and finds out the information and finds out, you know, a little bit of backstory on baby Yoda, which I'm sure they're probably going to return a little bit more to later. Um, we find out. I was about to say, that's the alarm for 20 minutes. So <laughs> huh? I said, that was the alarm for 20 minutes. Oh, okay. Good. So, well, yeah. Okay. Basically. So, um, to, well, and I guess that's why I said 30 minutes in the, in the beginning. But regardless, this is almost finished. Um, find out the child's name. Uh, Michael Bean's in this episode. We knew, you know, you know, anytime Michael Bean shows up, something's going to happen. But um, uh, Ahsoka and the Mandalorian team up. They go after the, the magistrate. Um, Ahsoka gets some information uh, having to do because she is looking for uh, one Grand Moff Tarkin. I mean, excuse me, not Grand Moff Tarkin. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Grand Admiral Thrawn, who <laughs> apparently 
Um, because this is well after the fact that Tar- that Targan's gone, so that was that was I don't know why that name was on my head in my head, but Grand Marf, uh, excuse me, Grand Admiral Thrawn, whom we last saw in uh, Rebels, uh, prior to this, who apparently was this Magister's um master, and I think she is of the same. They said she is of the same race, but she's not Chiss. So, but she's um um. Cause just a blue, anyway. Um, regardless, uh, this magistrate whose name is Morgan Ellsworth, I believe that was her name. Uh, yeah, uh, she and Ahsoka fight before she ends up losing. Before she ends up losing and giving up this information, apparently, or at least we that we know. We don't necessarily know whether she got the information or not. Um, and actually we don't even know whether the person is still alive, but I would like to believe that this person is probably still alive because we didn't see a body drop. Mm-hmm. And normally in Star Wars, if, if that's usually the financial finality of the things. So this person is probably still around, but in custody. Um, uh, but regardless, um, but yeah, we find out that yeah, Thrawn's around. Oh, and of course, earlier in the episode, I forgot to mention that Yoda's name gets dropped drops because of you know, um, Baby Yoda. And again, we find out where the Baby Yoda kind of beginnings was. Um, but uh, Sokus was kind of reiterates that she can't treat the the child. And this is another revelation which had me very very giddy. Uh, to the Mandalorian, she basically says that. Um, Look, I can't teach him because he's, you know, he's imprinted on you and, you know, there's a lot of fear in him and I don't know if he wants to go down that path. So she's basically telling him, you need to go to Tython, which if you know your uh, uh, Star Wars lore, lore is a pretty, is, is a, a name that hadn't been dropped in a minute. And of uh, and just the aforementioned uh, Old Republic, especially um, uh, the, the, the MMO. You know that place, which is basically you know where the the, the Jedi trained or, or one of the old uh, Jedi training planets. Anyway, um, told him to go there, go put him up on this rock. If he chooses the ball, basically if he chooses the ball, if he chooses the sword, <laughs> if you know that reference from uh, from um, uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, not yeah, well the Lone Wolf and Cub series. Or, wait, speak up because you're you're did your mic on? Yeah. I'm here. I've just been very quietly listening to Roddy Cat uh, have fun talking about the Mandalorian. I love this episode. This episode was so damn good. I loved it. Plus minutes. I'm sorry, but this episode was really good. Let's go. That's why. That's why I interjected with the. um, I interjected with the timer because we were joking about how much time we were going to give to this. Right. So. No, like you covered most of the points. Is there anything else you want to touch on before I just go through a couple of my notes? Uh, just that, you know, like I said, uh, Tython, she told him, like, if he chooses the way of the force, then so be it. If he not, if he doesn't, then, you know, he'll have to go there, put him on the thing, and Baby Yoda will make, uh, make, make the choice of which way he wants to go. Because she was basically early on in the episode, it was like, yeah, she can't teach him, and he's it's best that he just got rid of, I mean, just, just forgot that he even has the force. But, you know. Um, but Mandalorian was like, well, this was a quest, and that was pretty much, he thought that was the end of it, but that ended up not being the case. And that's it. 
this is funny. Roddy Cat actually was wondering if my mic was on or it was working. I literally could have gone away, gotten some some more stuff to drink, come back. He still would have been going on about this episode. No. Uh, <laughs> but in any event. Well, if um, he had gone away, yes. But, I mean, that's that's a whole, you know, I haven't seen you going away. Sure. As far as far as this episode goes, and you know, and, and in conjunction with the last episode, um, you know, we did we did forget to mention one thing that um, at the end of the siege episode, uh, chapter twelve, episode four of season two, um, one of the mechanics that uh, uh, perform repairs on the Razor Crest is secretly an Imperial spy. No, I did. Well, I, I kind of mentioned. I didn't say that part, but yeah, I mentioned that the the. That oh, yeah, they the, put the, the, the chase is afoot. Right. We'll put it the chase is afoot. Now, uh, with regards to uh, chapter 13, um, my first notes basically read Ahsoka <laughs> in, in big capital letters and with big exclamation points because that's essentially my that was essentially my reaction to this entire episode from the beginning, as Roddy Cat mentioned. You know, it's fitting that Dave Poloni both wrote and directed this episode because he co-created, as I mentioned before, the character with George Lucas, and he essentially shepherded the character into fandom's hearts after initial backlash to this little girl Jedi who is, you know, in a sense, very snippy. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. Right? Um, as as, as Rodicat mentioned, we did get uh, Michael Bean, uh, a.k.a. Kyle Reese from The Terminator, a.k.a. whatever his name was in the Alien movie. Um, you know, so we get him as a hired gun for the main enemy of the episode. He's actually he actually goes by the name of Lang in the episode. Um, uh, yeah, we get some telepathic communication, basically communicating by the feeling of their thoughts between Ahsoka and uh, the child. We get some idea that and the timeline seems to work with this, that he's essentially another survivor of Order 66. Yeah. Oh, um, it's it's something that, you know, it's something that fills in more of his story. And again, Uh, I think on that point, though, I I, I suspect there's part of that that will probably, like I said earlier, that's part of that that will probably still kind of bear out. Definitely going to talk about it, because um, one thing that she that that Ahsoka mentions in uh, relaying what she's learned to uh, Mando is that, you know, uh, the child has seen some dark things. Mm-hmm. And his memories go very dark um, once uh, Order 66 goes into effect. Um, in, in a sense, and, and this is what I was referring to earlier, in a sense, I understand why Ahsoka says she can't train him, right? Because she's literally, literally referring to her own master. Yep. And the history that she has learned, that she has experienced, her experiences and what she's learned as a result of being the uh, Padawan of one Anakin Skywalker, aka Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. So I understand that, you know, especially fear and anger being the stumbling blocks to someone of uh, a slightly advanced age. He's 50! Um, finally <laughs> learned the ways of the Force and the Jedi, right? right. I mean, l- listen, Anakin, when he, when, 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 uh, what do you call it? When um, uh, Qui Gon. Jin uh, 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 picked him up out of slavery and uh, basically emancipated him um, uh, from Watto on 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 Tatooine. Uh, he was already considered too too old by the Jedi Council, you right. know, 
the child is 50. So, you know, he's, you know, you know, he's going to be too old for uh, Jedi training. And but, admittedly, I thought that was going, I thought that was going to be the thing. Right. I thought that was going to be the thing right there. Cause she was like, he's too old. I thought she was going to reference that. I'm like, no, it was, it was the other thing. Okay. Exactly. But, uh, you know, but it's like, he's already established, um, the fear and the anger, you know, in his 50 years being alive. And he's already been trained apparently by some masters on Coruscant in the right. Jedi temple. So, you know, he's already got some training, I, you know, in my opinion, you know, I feel like tra- some training is better than none. You don't have to be a Jedi. You could be some sort of kind of quasi, you know, uh, Jedi or force user. So at least he doesn't have, you know, so at least he has some training. Right. But he's uh, also, you know, and I guess in relative terms, still a baby, even though he's 50 of his of his species, because as we know from Yoda, who lived to be like 900, you know, right. Almost nine hundred. Them jokers live pretty long, <laughs> right? Uh, Rodicat mentioned Morgan Elsbeth, the magistrate. Um, you know, I'm glad that she's apparently not dead, right? Because she's played by Diana Lee Innocento, and if yeah, that means to bell anybody, for anybody, the Innocento family name if that rings a bell for anybody. She is the daughter of Dan Innocenta, who was a student of Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee is actually her godfather. Right. So I'm glad you brought that up because I did not know that at the time because I went to look. Uh, I, I went to look. I'm like, all right, she's badass. I like her. Who the fuck is she? So I went to look her up. And I'm like, oh, that makes a whole lot of sense. Yes, it makes a lot more sense now that the character she plays could at least go a few rounds with Ahsoka. Mm hmm. So, um, so yes, I, I'm, uh, yeah, so hopefully she will show up again. Right. A couple of more things before we, uh, before I wrap up my thoughts on this. Um, it's very, it was very cool to see Ahsoka of Rosario Dawson use her Shoto lightsaber in the reverse grip. Yes. To take Elizabeth. Cause that's really one of the, 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 the trademark things that was introduced to a lot of mainstream Star Wars lore. I know part of it, you know, I know some of it was in the video games. But we never really saw that style of swordplay until Ahsoka in the mainstream. So right. um, it was nice to see uh, uh, Filoni and the um, the stunt directors really uh, really embrace that as part of a, a highlight of the duel between herself, between Ahsoka and Elspeth. Um, my one of my side notes is that um, I guess you need Star Wars money in your budget to have proper orange skin makeup. Uh, this is a uh, I'm, t- I'm I'm taking shots at the Titans because they couldn't do that for uh, for Corey and Starfire. Shots fired. It also helps that you know Rosario Dawson being you know closer in shade to what Ahsoka would be, you know naturally then let's say which i guess I'll, I'll go ahead and bring this up here i would suspect that that's partially part of the reason why it's rosario dawson playing the role and not you know um actually actually um Eckstein, who's you know who is the, the voice and soul of ahsoka tano he still would have had to slap on the orange makeup well that's but, what i'm saying though but you know it would it's easier to do make, right know, it's easier to do with rosario dawson being browner than you know that's funny but no, and in I, all seriousness, I was just glad to see. I was like, wow, they really made her look good. Right. Uh, and speaking of Ashley. Not that she already didn't, but yes. Right. <laughs> but the, in, terms of the, in terms of the makeup job. Right. You know, just in terms of the overall makeup job. I thought that was really well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, I love Rosario's voice. I feel like she was softening her voice slightly. Yeah. To, uh, closer match what people expect when uh, they heard um, Ashley Eckstein speak uh, on Clone Wars and on Rebels. But I still, as soon as she started talking, I still had an echo of Ahsoka's voice, of Ashley Eckstein's voice in right. my head when I heard her talk. There seemed to be a little bit of the cadence there, but just a little bit more kind of understated than what we know from, you know, how um, Ashley Eckstein does it. But yeah, it's, I, I've, I like you was kind of there also. I was like, yeah, you can kind of hear shades of it, but it was also different enough to, you know, to be like, okay, yeah, it's a little different, but still it's there. So that's that. You know, those are my thoughts on it. I'm, I was happy to see. Um, you know, there's definitely. You know, we definitely did not go far from the Western motif. Um, you know that uh, that that Favreau has instilled in this uh, series. You know, there's definitely there are definitely a couple of uh, uh, face-offs slash duels. You know, there's definitely some 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 uh, uh, samurai motif in there as well, which is what the Western stuff draws upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, this was very much an entertaining episode, and as as, as Roddy Cat is is, um, is you know said earlier, uh, you know he stressed earlier, this was a really fun episode. I watched it twice. I'm probably going to watch it again. I didn't watch it twice, but cause like like I told you beforehand, I watched it earlier today. But yeah, I'm probably going to watch it again also. Right, because you watched the two back to back. So I watched this episode twice. I watched it once. Um, I, I watched it once over lunch and literally once over dinner, you know, while I, while I was warming up my Thanksgiving leftovers, I watched this again, um, before I came up to uh, start, um, preparing for the show. Right. So, yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's, like I said, it was a great episode. Um, hopefully our soccer will show up again. I feel like, uh, and maybe this is just me projecting. I feel like the, her last, you know, um, her last when she there was notes that she could probably be back. That's not saying that she would be because you know she, the, we were pretty much only promised that she was going to show up. So, but you know, I suspect that she and probably both Bo Katan are probably going to show up at either if not this season, maybe next season, but probably at sometime, sometime coming up. So at least I hope so. Anyway. Um, I don't know if you got something else to say before we go move on. Then, no, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. I'm 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 eagerly anticipating uh, the rest of the season. Now, not that I wasn't before, but I really am excited to see where they go from here. Right. Oh, there was also another. Uh, I was going to mention this also. There was an, uh, another Rebels reference in the show that it, that was almost a blink and you missed it. I don't know if you caught it. What was it? Uh, the Lothcat. Oh yeah, I did see that. I was so I was like, because you know the Lothcast that was like pretty much a strictly rebel thing until they started getting it around to other places, and there was just a real quick shot of this Lothcat kind of getting scared away from what the the fight, um, or getting spooked uh, from what was going on at the time. I was like, oh shoot! At first, I almost missed it myself. So I was like, wait, is that a Loth? It's a goddamn Lothcat. <laughs> So that was cool that they had that in there. Like, it's a little thing, but that was a thing from Rebels that showed up a lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, it showed up a lot because they're on Lothal a right. lot. So Lothcat this and Loth Wolf bad and right. Loth, 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 Loth. But it's Loth. also shown up, that, like, yeah, exactly. And that was one thing that's kind of was normally restricted to Loth, uh, Lothal, but it has shown up in other places on other planets also for various reasons. Like this one, because this was not Lothal. 
So that means we're, we're not 100% sure where this is in the in the galaxy. It's definitely outer rim, but right. you know, Lothal is supposed to be outer rim as well. So right. I mean, and there's not necessarily saying that somebody could have just got one from Lothal, and, or they, they could have gotten you know gotten them, and they've been other places. We just know we've seen them on Lothal strictly. Right. That's when we were introduced to them. So right. Uh, at this point, it's just a nice little Easter egg. I did see that. That was funny. Mm-hmm. All right. So now we are going to move on to uh, the comic books of the week. Um, we don't necessarily have a transition because we don't normally transition like that. But uh, we I was said- about to, I'll just hit one of the comic transitions. Oh, perfect. That's good. Um we said we were going to start off with the X of Swords stuff, aka Ten of Swords, which is the the last, um, I guess, the last chapters of this said uh, trilogy. I mean, it's not said trilogy of this event. Excuse me. Uh, we're going to start off with X Men fifteen. If you want to go ahead and take that one, sure. X Men. This is x men fifteen it is uh x of swords chapter twenty uh we are in the home stretch of um yeah, the big crossover uh just give me a minute to scroll down to it and I will tell you who is among the creative team so of course this is uh written by Jonathan Hickman the art is by Mahmoud Asrar um uh, Sonny Go is the color artist, and it is lettered by Clayton Cowles, and Tom Muller is uh, responsible for the design. And I mentioned Tom Muller because this episode is chock full of data pages. Um, you know, as well, I'll, you know, the last three, the last three uh, uh, books definitely have data pages galore to help us fill to, to help fill in some of the little gaps um, that that come up as the storyline wraps. So this issue basically revolves around the last duel in the Ten of Swords series between Annihilation, a.k.a. Genesis, Apocalypse's, uh, maybe not quite ex-wife, <laughs> maybe estranged, estranged is the best way to Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and Apocalypse himself, um, you know, while they are in the midst of dueling it out, the Quiet Council is debating on what to do with what uh, Cyclops and Jean Grey have learned when Cable reached out to them um, in a telepathic distress call uh, last issue or a few issues ago. So the Quiet Council is debating, and it's great, you know, it's really great to see the government and the politics that the X-Men set up on Krakoa really uh, be expressed the way we thought it would be. There's such a big table. There's such a diverse group of um, characters and mindsets and attitudes represented on this council that uh, we really do get a lot of the different points of view on um, both Krakoan uh, self-preservation as well as trying to mount a rescue mission. Right. And, and I think they touched on, they touched on a little bit of that in one of the data pages and, and that about the differing personalities in there. Exactly. And what's what was cool is, and I know that, uh, shout out to Classic Materia, what was cool is that Cyclops gets to have a hero moment in this <laughs> issue. Which is really cool. Shout out to Classic Materia, founder of the Cult of the Podcast Network. I'm going to make sure to shout him out uh, on Twitter. Let him know that we are paying him homage in this episode. Uh, as I said, 
uh, Apocalypse is in the midst of his duel with Genesis slash Annihilation. Um, uh, quick footnote, it's weird. It, it, it still kind of bothers me that there's a bunch of uh, repeated names uh, or, or names that are used in other kind of famous uh, parts of Marvel history and lore that are kind of repeated in Ten of Swords, like the Twilight Sword mm-hmm. and now Annihilation. So it makes you pause and be like, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something else. Exactly. But, uh, but, and before you go any further, let me put this put this in here real quick. Uh, so while the X-Men, while the Quiet Council and everybody was chatting about the and Cyclops and Jean was telling them their plan, this is with, without the knowledge of what is going on or the full knowledge of what's going on in all the world. Because they only know from what Cable told them before he got cut off by Saturnine. Uh, right. So they and he only told them that things were going bad at the time, but they didn't know about the fact that things kind of got evened up. Yeah, they didn't know about Gorgon basically taking one for the team, taking out a whole bunch of people to even up the score. Right. So, um, but uh, you know, as, as as we get down to that duel again between uh, Apoc- Apocalypse and his uh, estranged wife. Uh, Apocalypse finds himself uh, with the upper hand, but doesn't want to deliver the killing blow and objects to Saturnine. Uh, that gives Genesis the time to put the helmet on, and apparently that helmet gives her a heck of a lot of power hmm. and um, additional uh, healing because she is essentially restored after being almost cut in half at the waist. Right. And, and here's where I say that pretty much that helmet is just like Dr. Fate's helmet of fate. In this in this situation, because there is another entity into that and that that likes to uh, project its will onto the user, uh, and right. this is definitely that's going to come into play at the into this as it has now. So that that brings us to Excalibur number fifteen. If you want to start this one, sure. So. Um, so this is a weird little transition because yeah, at the end of like the, like like uh, Agent Seventy said that at the end of this, um, we found that Apocalypse was on the upper hand of the fight and pretty much won w- before you know things happen. Also, I was just going to say that we have ne- I've, it's weird and refreshing to see Apocalypse like this because we have classically we have never seen uh, Apocalypse care too much about anything outside of his own agenda, and, and of mm-hmm. course we now we know why he's at that agenda and. The fact that he obviously didn't want to kill his, kill his wife because he loves her and it was like and she's like the stronger of the two and all this and that and the other. So seeing him in the state that he's been in since this fight started, much less before this going into the fight, has been kind of cool but weird as hell. That being said, Excalibur fifteen things have escalated like where much like <laughs> <laughs> like like screw the screw the the swords. It's just a full out battle. So it's Krikorans, you know, and uh, uh, against. Uh, pretty much everybody else or pretty much uh, their Iraqis and they're still kind of outnumbered, but holding their own. Um, and then end up getting shorthanded because, um, uh, uh, let's just say the married couple that, that is Doug and Bay ends up, uh, well, Bay, which is a funny name for that person, but still, um, I'm sure that was intentional, uh, but uh, Bay comes and takes Doug away from the battlefield uh, for whatever reasons that we don't know at the time. While things, this full scale battle is pretty much happening, you know, with her people and 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 the Krakoans. Uh And meanwhile, also, also, you know, they're like, uh, and 
you know, before this even happened, it was like, yeah, it's like the, everybody's fighting tooth and nail and, and doing their thing. Um, and it's, you know, the battle starts turning away when one, when Doug, not that Doug wasn't necessarily a deciding factor, but, you know, it also takes another body away from, from both sides, which again, there, there are Rockins, there are still pretty much had a couple other people more than the Krakoans at this, at this point. Um, uh, we see another side of, um, before things start to shift a little bit, we see Saturnine pretty much making stained glass Betsy, uh, putting the pieces back to, to, to of, uh, of Betsy back together again, or at least that with that we know of, we don't necessarily see that until later, which mm-hmm. ends up, um, making someone's theory right or on a part, but we basically see the the tide of the tunnel, t- tide of the battle turning, and of course, there's that whole hold the line moment that the the uh, Kirkwoods go through, which is pretty much the uh, what Storm and um, Storm and uh, Apocalypse say in in uh, Krakoan at that point. Um, right. There's. I wanted before you move on. Yeah, right. I wanted to point out a few things. Mm-hmm. One is that. Um, the call to arms from Annihilation at the end of uh, X-Men 15, right, basically causes all pretense of this uh, the sword championship or this contest of champions basically throws all that aside. And then the, and the Arakoans basically, um, you know, all on their armies and basically, you know, just start out an all out assault. Right. And, but we pretty much go into the battle proper. Like, we don't get any pretense into it. It's just like, as soon as we start this issue up, they're already in full battle. Exactly. It's already started. So, you know, we, there's just something that we need to point out that uh, once um, it looked like Apocalypse was essentially um, about to be declared the victor, uh, the Arakoans uh, basically threw aside all pretense of, of, of trying to obey any rules and said, screw it, let's just overwhelm them with pure force. And that's where we're headed, and we'll get to that in the next issue. So um, uh, let's see if there's anything else I wanted to mention before Rodicap uh, picks up where he left off. Yeah, and mind you, this whole thing was being governed, supposedly governed by Saturnine, who, you know, didn't, hadn't, you know, once this all broke out, didn't say, didn't say, let anything, uh, just let things happen the way they, where they happen. (laughs) Right. I mean, part of you, part of me thought about uh, herself uh, playing the game uh, on, you know, uh, very much like Stephen Strange at the end of um, Infinity War. He's like, all right, I got to give this up to make it work. So, right. Oh, there's there's totally in some in-game moments happening here. Right. So essentially, you know, but no, but at least in in Infinity War, Saturnine knew that that there were a couple things that she had to let play out once that little mosaic or, or jigsaw puzzle she put together um, came out the way it did. She started to figure out, okay, I think this is, these are some of the things I have to let play, even though um, some of the, um, the things aren't going to going the way I want them to. And we'll get to that in a minute. Right. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause that ends up coming up with a conversation in the next book. Um, but yeah, so like I said, the, 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 the battle get the, the tide of the battle turns, but of course, what ends up happening when the backs are against the wall and and the chips are on the line, the cavalry, or at least part one of the cavalry, ends up coming into play in the form of Jubilee and the uh, priestesses of the Starlight Citadel, 
who came in and given us this. But obviously, since um, you know Jubilee is there for her friends and for Shoko, who is still in the, the Starlight Citadel, um, you know, kind of comes in, and the, the priestesses are there to defend the Citadel. So you know, after they kind of come in and do their their part real quick, they kind of split off, and you know, Jubilee's with the rest of the Krakoans and. You know the the um, the the uh, priestesses kind of clear a path to the the citadel, but then this is when uh, before going into the the next book, uh, we get I believe that's in this book actually. We start seeing the um, now that's that's in the next book, but we start to see um, where the cavalry comes was well, the before but the cavalry comes into the next. Uh, comes to the rescue in the the next book because we start to see shades of uh, Cyclopses and um, uh, Jean's plan, or at least little bits of it, anyway. Also, you need to mention, or we should we should mention that mm-hmm. some of the Arakoans don't want to partake in this. That's correct. And yes, some of the some of the sword bearers decide to go off and do their own thing and do not wish to be part of this battle. They thought they were in for a contest of champions. So right. It, stopped, uh, it basically stopped being stopped being right. uh, honorable enough for them. So some of them, left. so yeah, it kind of did even up the field a little bit more. Right. So they 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 beg off uh, from the fight, but as um, as Roddy Cat uh, theorized, and you know, and it and it became more and more obvious as the series went along. Uh, one of the intended byproducts of this uh, crossover event was to restore a mainstay of the X-Men corner of the Marvel Universe, the Marvel Universe, and of the uh, Excalibur title. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which we will get to that but in I, a second. And actually, I, that's probably... Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, would, I, I was about to say, I was, I, was, I was leading into what you were going to say because that's where this issue ends. Right. Um, and actually, shout out to Devon Gloom for that one because, yeah, he also definitely... I think that was probably more of his part of the theory than, than mine was but yes i was kind of with him with that so i can't really i can't really take full credit for it for that one because we were kind of both in a similar place on where part of this thing was going to go it didn't and happen it, it didn't happen in the way we thought though or fully right. in the way we thought I to say nothing according to according to like the few notes i had a chance to jot down nothing goes uh nothing goes the way we thought it would right um you know similar to an issue uh, another comic this week uh uh daredevil number 24 but um, getting back to this, um, it was always in the back of my mind because of the fact that the writer, the head writer of, or the, the writer responsible for the Excalibur title was collaborating with Hickman, um, on doing the story mm-hmm. that Howard. So I always suspected that, and especially with, um, uh, the news that Betsy Braddock was taking over the title that the actual, and I'll mention it now, the Captain Britain Corps might be uh, resurrected at some point. Right. Which was, was pretty much part of the theory. Was yeah. Exactly. And that's part, that was part of the theory. And, and that's what essentially I was getting at when I said this was one of the byproducts that were intended, much like increased toy sales after Marvel Superhero Secret Wars. Right. So we have to get to a point where we bring back <laughs> Captain Britain Corps. That's the story. Yes, the part that's near and dear to uh, Agent 70, of course. Of um, course, of course. <laughs> we need to do this, so let's do this. So, yeah, know? so at the end of this issue, um, 
So at the end of this issue, we find out that uh, Saturnine was indeed putting the pieces back together uh, of Betsy. Uh, again, much to her dismay because once she finishes up, um, as Agent 7 said, things don't necessarily go the way she thought it was go- going to when she pieced things back together. We see that... Hey, um, hold, on. hold on just for a second, just for a second, because I can actually squish this into two into the same into the same recap because the creative teams for these two issues are very similar mm-hmm. for Excalibur. Um, the, uh, the art team is very similar to, to, uh, to, um, the X-Men book. So this is, uh, written by Tinny Howard with art by Mahmoud Asrar and, and, uh, Stefano Caselli and colors by Sonny Go and R- Rochelle Rosenberg, um, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowell. So there's very much a connection between X-Men 15 and Excalibur number 15. And for the, the the big capper issue, Ten of Swords Destruction number one, this is written by Jonathan Hickman and the aforementioned Tinny Howard, mm-hmm. with art by Pepe Loraz and uh, color art by Marte Gracia and lettering by VCs Clayton Cowell. So, uh, and of course, the data pages by uh, Tom Muller because it's you know we couldn't survive this this uh, this whole event without getting those data pages. Right. But Pepe Loraz delivers an incredible issue here. Please continue. Uh, so yeah, at the end of uh, X, uh, Excalibur fifteen, like I said, that's when the 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 assist from 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 Jubilee and the and the priests come out. Doug and Bay comes back, uh, but they still, but the, all the Krakoans are still surrounded by you know Genesis uh, Apocalypse and folks, and that's when we get the thing that Saturn in puts uh, the pieces of Betsy back together, and she's like, oh, this is not what I what I had in mind, and we see. Uh, and she's kind of upset about that, but this is where we find start to find out that the, the Captain Britain Corps are indeed uh, coming back into play, which leads us into uh, Ten of Swords Destruction Number One, uh, where we definitely find out that yeah, the that's um that that's the case. But uh, actually, I'm gonna scroll back into this real quick and see where it started because there's parts of it that weirdly enough I'm forgetting about. So yeah, the the Cap Britain Corps is back into play. Everybody's back, uh, or, or all of them back, and there's a bunch of versions of Betsy. However, Prime Betsy is not back. We see other uh, multiversal versions of her and other Brat Captain Britain Corps, uh, but we do not see her. Right. It's not explained even until later on. Right. I I assumed as a reader um, that she was back, but because they don't they don't actually mention that in the story, they touch upon it later on. Right. So and yeah, we definitely find out. Like, so during the course of this last issue, that there are definitely loose ends that are probably going to come up later in in X series, probably more likely including this because I I would hate for. Know, best to be off the table for that long regardless um so captain britain core is back the, the 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 fight starts back over again there's some renewed energy on the battlefield and there are looks like there are definitely losses on both sides and even in with uh, the um the captain britain core um uh, annihilation pretty much s- I guess you could almost put this in, in, a, in a loads of uh, loads of the rings, but, but I can't remember what better was. But basically, more monsters get called out um, uh, for for the Arakan uh, side uh, while everybody's fighting, and then a tele- and then another uh, the a cavalry assist comes in with the in the form of um, 
uh, Cyclops, Jean, and a whole mess of Krakoans in in a grand fashion because uh, Cyclops basically Cyclops basically uh, telepathically, um, you know, uh, links up with Cable and then um, Yana Rasputin, aka Magic, who's basically just like kicking the door, waving the four four. <laughs> Um, and, honestly, and honestly, and I, I'm going to ring. I, I'm definitely going to hit a particular sound effect here because it, it, it did strike me as a little corny, and it was definitely funny. Yeah. But we found out who the tenth sword was. Yes, or more in, in this case, what the tenth sword was in in the case. Right, and what it is is the peak. Which is the vessel for sword? Okay, <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, fine, you got me, you got me, right? <laughs> yeah, because we was wondering because we had been wondering a few different times. Like, wait, they only had nine swords, and 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 you know, but apparently those nine swords were able to get them to the to point and get in there. So I was like, and we knew the peak was around because we seen, you know, we had been um reading cable even going up into uh well getting into this event um when that or going up to and getting into this event but we weren't really sure what the peak had to do with anything actually kind of much like the captain britain corps but we knew at least the captain britain corps had more more of a tie to you know where things were where thing was than than the peak you know so anyway magic opens up a big ass portal um, the peak comes out and just rests right on top of the Starlight t- Citadel, and you can almost see it go ting <laughs> as the two points uh, meet. Uh, and then a whole mess pretty much looks like almost everybody. As I say in my notes, like um, it's a party, and pretty much everybody came, including Dupe. Because <laughs> um, yeah, because yeah, you can see, like, so, uh, it just it started raining down mutants, uh, Krakoans. Um, Even- Pool showed up. So even who? Gwenpool. Wait. It, okay. And was that one the one I didn't? See? Oh yeah. You're right. I do see her. Yeah. I'm looking at the page now. There. <laughs> and yeah, because we had seen her like uh, show up in Marauders one issue. I'm like, what is she doing there? She's not even a mutant. Mm. You know. So that's weird. Unless she is now, and we don't. You know, it's something we yeah. don't know because you know. But as far as we know, she's not a mutant. But yeah, it's just it starts raining down mutants, and, and um, you know the the battle just continues to go. And you see a bunch of really nice uh, pages of the of the or at least you know, the, the the couple after that, um, or at least the one after that where you see you know various people, you know various groups of people in battle, almost in a cinematic fashion. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a it's a pretty damn good fight, and of course, and then it falls back to. Uh, um, Apocalypse and Annihilation who apparently um, Apocalypse got his sword fixed because it was broken uh, in Excalibur 15. So that feels like a, a continuity error. I don't know. Or maybe it's... Say, or that just the shard and he's just depicting it differently because it's not the full kind of sickle? Maybe. But it, feels, it looks like it's full though because it felt like it was cut off a little closer to the where it juts off at. But maybe I'm like you're probably right. And just leave it right. at that. But. You know, it might just be artistic interpretation because if I'm not mistaken, it's supposed to be like this gigantic kind of sickle shape. Right. So it definitely doesn't look like that. But as Roddy Cat was mentioning, we get back to essentially what is the last battle, which continues despite the fact that Apocalypse really did 
you know, win that last duel, but she never yielded. She never, you know, much like T'Challa against, um, uh, 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 whatchamacallit, against uh, Killmonger. He never yielded. He did not die. Mm -hmm. So they continued to battle. um, And the Annihilation Mask is still on. And what uh, she uses, uh, you know, with the mask is to bring in even more extra dimensional beasts. Pretty much. Let Happy Laraz you know, uh, go to town, summoning all of Darker Amenth, all of these wacky places that uh, Tinny Howard and and Jonathan Hickman came up with during this event. And so we get lots more supernatural stuff, kind of Cthulhu stuff, some kaiju stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's pretty wild. And um, uh, uh, at the end of the day, we get um, uh, a flashback to something that uh, came up when uh, the X-Men decided to uh, visit the peak and see what was going on up there. That was a, a weird little callback. I was like, oh, snap, they came back to this. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because we were wondering, even at the time we saw this, like we were wondering, like, what in the world is this all about? And when is this? We knew it was going to come back into play at some point, but we didn't know where or how. We figured it was something like maybe down the line, down the line. But apparently, no, here we go. So, yeah, being that the peak is back into play and um cable and saturnine was talking and we found out that yeah he got the full call for a reason but now he just, he just figured it out because he has a short sort of galador and he, they go back uh he has uh a yana and um cyclops gene taken back to the to the peak where he goes back to power up the peak again which opens up the door uh a, a greenish door some would say but not having no. to do with anything oh. to do with immortal hulk um but uh, opens up a door and lets out the whole bunch of beings uh, that they had trapped in there from Cable's uh, when, you know, I guess it was Cable. It was either Cable or X-Men. I can't remember when that particular thing happened. But when the when the when the um, when Cyclops Gene and Cable went to the peak, they were um, they they had uh, turned on the power. They came across these beings who were feeding off folks. Uh, but then they they turned off the power. Now they turned it back on, and these people came through the gate. Uh, y- Yana opened up another gate to, to 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 the battlefield, and that pretty much turned the tide of the battle because they came in almost like an annihilation wave and just cleaned <laughs> cleaned off the battlefield of a lot of um, uh, Arokans. Right, like it definitely seemed like. You know, it seemed like uh, uh, the cavalry consisted of, um, you know, or, or at least the way they were acting and, and, and the way they are depicted, at least in this issue, is that they're kind of like a mix between, you know, like you said, uh, like it's almost like an annihilation wave. It felt like a wave of mindless ones from um, the, the dark, Dormammu's dark dimension, you know, just kind of like these like unstoppable, just, you know, uh, 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 machine-like uh, creatures, but they, they prove to actually be not invulnerable because Annihilation and, uh, you know, Annihilation slash Genesis, um, you know, slashes a bunch of them to pieces, but they are yet another force on the battlefield. Right. Yeah, like I said, they come in, kind of clean up the battlefield of a, of a lot of Arokans and maybe some other people too, we don't know. They were just there just feeding off of Jokers. Um, but yeah, we get back to the um, the fight with... Um, with um, uh, um, Annihilation and Apocalypse, who takes the basically takes the helmet off of um, off of Genesis, 
and uh in a stroke no one saw coming puts it on himself yeah uh well let me afraid that no one except for saturnine because she seemed like she saw this part coming yeah um, she was basically saying go on wait mm-hmm. for it you know right. she's not aaron burr she's much more like dr strange knowing <laughs> what's gonna happen right uh and we'll get to more on her in a minute because it's her there was an extent to what she knew or not obviously going into part of this. So yeah, so to, to end this all off, um and I'm actually real quick, I'm kinda of wondering who that person was that um Isco was holding on to because I think that's Pyro and I'm not sure, but she looks like she kinda of pretty much took him out. But regardless, uh it this ended up with um you know, Apocalypse basically trying to um, you know, not get taken over by the mask, which he kind of sort of does, and he surrenders, which Saturnine's like, as uh, Agent 7 said, like, go on, do your thing. You know, which uh, much to the dismay of the um, the entity in the helmet, you know, pretty much calls things to a close. Saturnine comes down and, pr- and with Shogo and wipes the field of uh, uh, a lot of other folks. Uh, takes the mask off, just easily takes the mask off of uh, Apocalypse and turns it into a staff and gives it to Genesis. Uh, but then uh, she basically was like, all right, well, now that that's all done with, we need to, we need a, a prisoner exchange. Um, Apocalypse goes with the um, Arokins and his wife, obviously. Uh, wow. So this was the weird part about this part. So, cause there's supposed to be an ex- prisoner exchange or, or quote unquote, a prisoner exchange, not necessarily a prisoner exchange, but some sort of exchange between both parties. Um, I was thinking, well, since Bay was already married to Doug, that was going to be the case for the Krakoans. As it turns out, uh, Apocalypse is like, no, it's basically the whole island of Iraq, of Araku, Araku. Uh, in exchange that that goes with um, the Krakoans. Uh Real quick pause, just for a hot second. You mentioned Shogo basically cleaning up the battlefield. Pretty much. Well, you know, I, let me phrase that. I mean, there's a lot of people still there, but because yeah, because he did kind of come out and swoop up some other some some folks. Right. It seemed like because it seemed like that was like the one thing, you know, and I think that they mentioned this that Dragonfire, at least in this realm, was like stupendously powerful, much right. like it. You know, just like it almost always is in in, in uh, fantasy stories. Right. But you know, Saturnine having uh, exerted this extreme influential control over uh, Shogo uses his dragon fire to basically lay waste to any of the armies that she did not want to have on the battlefield anymore. Right. Which was that last army that came from the peak. Right. Which so so essentially we get you know she basically drives them back and we get to. Um, you know, what Roddy Cat was referring to as the terms of the armistice, <laughs> essentially. Right. So we get that and Apocalypse, you know, looking, I guess, kind of happy, goes off with uh, his family, with the Arokans, the Kukons coming to go back home. Um, and then we get a couple more data pages having to do with the swords and where things... And like I said, and like I said earlier, during this, we kind of get like some some loose ends that's going to come up later but a lot of that bears out in these uh data pages because we find out where uh the swords of both uh Araco and Krakoa are and who has them or at least where they are not necessarily in all cases mm-hmm. who has them obviously Bay went with uh, the Krakoans with Doug uh we get a data page on the Captain Britain Corps 
Uh, and this is where we find out that, yeah, Betsy's still missing. Um, and she's pretty much was the, the, the catalyst of, uh, of this. And then the, the rest of this is basically finding out the rest of the issues basically find out that yeah, Saturn and Saturnine did not know everything that was going on, but she knew that there was some randomness that was that so some random that she kind of like agent 70 said earlier that she was going to have to deal with and let play out. Uh, but she didn't let on to the person she was talking to that. Yeah. Some of that she didn't know about, which obviously she's not going to do that being the person that she is, you know, and then it's kind of like one of those, uh, well, this is where, this is where everybody is, you know, at the end of the movie type situations after this, because we see Shogo and Jubilee back together. The peak is back out in space. Although, well, excuse me, half out in space. Cause it looks like it's basically the peak is a wedge in between, uh, other worlds because it's still according to that page it's still right above the Starlight Citadel but also out in space in front of um, uh, or, or, or around Earth so I don't know how that's going to play out but we know we do know there's they're going to be doing something with that later on we see you know uh, uh, Storm taking the sword back to uh, um, Wakanda we see the Quiet Council and obviously and that was another thing we, we kind of mentioned earlier but we didn't really go through to it there's been a change in the Quiet Council uh, because of um, what, X, uh, X-Men 15, because uh, Sebastian Shaw was like, look, whoever leaves from the Quiet Council is not on the council anymore. So being that Gene was on the council and a couple of people wanted to go, which actually was actually kind of funny because uh, Kate wanted to go and she got she got foiled by Scott Slide and that was kind of funny. Um, mm-hmm. But now I guess uh, Gene's not on the council anymore. So, and there's going. There's basically some changes that's going to be afoot in um, Krakoa, I guess. I thought but, they fixed that that she could go through the portals again once they fixed her resurrection. Well, see, that's just it. But she didn't. I think because that, I think that was the implication. Because when Scott was like, "Yeah, but we're going through a gate," and she's like, "Oh shoot," you know, or so I don't know if she's literally or leery about though, or that hasn't bored bared out yet. So we don't necessarily know. Supposedly, yes, that did get fixed because of her resurrection, but apparently she didn't think about that, you know, when this came up, you know, because otherwise she would have said, well, wait, that should have been taken care of. I had a, even I had, uh, even I was taken aback by that just a bit. I was just like, why couldn't she go through the portal? Right. Right. I I was just like, I was just like, that was funny, but I was like, wait, exactly. And I was thinking that same thing. But, uh, but you know, like I, I let that one go because yeah. they want to keep on the council. So, right. Uh, and Nightcrawler was kind of a similar situation because Gene was like, no, you need to stay because you're the soul of the group. And, the, you know, the, the, this and that and the other, which I was like, because even Nightcrawler was like, um, you know, like, yeah, I'm kind of ashamed. Like, why y'all didn't? No one invited me. This is about swords and nobody invited me. And, you know, that's, that's the thing. One was thinking. I was like, wait a second. He's like one of the only dudes that actually walks around normally with a sword. Exactly. And, and loves that shit. To a, a sword tournament, so right. and like, yeah, he would have cleaned house, or at least he would have, you know, done some damage. He should have been one of the combatants, but obviously, it wasn't actually played out like a sword tournament. So exactly. Um, so yeah, that takes us to the end of uh, the Ten of Swords, X of Swords event. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, like I said, we, there's a, you know, the, we find out that, yeah, the, being that the Captain Britain Corps is back and various parts of other world have been taken, you know, either been taken over by other people and whatnot, but since the, the Captain Britain Corps is back, the Titan 9 can use them to kind of um, uh, 
basically, you know, uh, as her army, you know, yeah, in other places. And she's alone because she just still didn't get Brian. So, yeah. and yeah, like I said, that pretty much ends out this note. But apparently, like I said, I feel like that there's going to be um, the loose ends that come out of this are going to come out of going to play, probably even including that, you know, at some point. Oh, definitely. Um, but yeah, that that's it. All twenty two chapters. It's a wrap for 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 Ten of Swords. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, as I as I said earlier, um, you know, it's it, it's uh, it was de- it definitely uh, felt the closer we get to the end that you know one of the main things they wanted to get out of this Marvel editorial and Hickman and Howard really wanted to get out of this was the reestablishment of the Captain Britain core mm-hmm. and um, that particular dynamic between uh, Saturnine and the rest of the reality. So, um, and Otherworld being a player. So, um, you know, in, in reestablishing Avalon in that corner of the, uh, the Excalibur uh, uh, part of the Marvel Universe. So, they definitely established that. They, they took an entire 22-issue series to do it. Right. Right, um, which is weird because you would like that seems like something that shouldn't have anything to do with some of this other stuff that going on. But yeah, that was pretty much a relatively major part of this. And I guess it, it would it should be worth uh, reiterating before we move on that yeah. So Saturnine was thinking that once she put the pieces back together, I'm thinking her her plan was this was one either her way to get uh, Brian back as uh, Captain Britain because as folks know. Well, folks may or may not know, most of the Captain Britain core, uh, multiversally, are either versions of him, or or, or something uh, or something like. But now that um, Bessie has the mantle, uh, and once she finished the picture, she realized that that, that was a catalyst for all of the Captain Britain core, pretty much being other multiversion multiversal versions of her. Instead of Vi, uh, instead of Brian, which of course, you know, didn't sit too well with Saturnine, because <laughs> she hates based Betsy one, and she and she wants Brian for other reasons right. than to just be her uh, be her champion. Right. I mean, I understand. You know, I definitely understand the editorial edict and what they want out of the story. And now, better than. Um, than when the story was first solicited and when mm. it started, because I freely admit not being very attuned to or being very familiar with the Excalibur corner of the Marvel Universe. So if they were going to reestablish it and introduce it to the widest possible um, audience, then mm. this is the way to do it. Right. So And it's questionable to what end. Sorry, what no, but I and in the sense of marketing and the sense of exposure and in the sense of getting something like this to establish a, a, a less well-known part of the X universe. Right. So I, you know, I, I better understand that now because, I, you know, for a lot of people, I don't know if you had the same experience, but definitely anecdotally, I had a lot of people asking me about Ten of Swords and whether or not I was going to stay on for it. Right. I, well, I, you know, I, I think I know where they're going you know, and I suspected this at least to be the case. And obviously, we knew that they were going to have a very, uh, they were going to lead with a very strong emphasis on the Excalibur elements of the story. Mm. You know, the traditional Excalibur elements of the story. 
that I'm not that familiar with, but I was willing to let that go. And that's how, what I relate to people that asked me. I said, it would help if, you know, it would help that myself and them as readers of this new story, if we were at least a little familiar with the Excalibur corner of the universe. But I don't think it's earth shattering that we don't know much because they're just going to explain it to us. But right. now we know more about why they decided to do a 22 page serial a 22 issue serialized story about you know setting this up well see that's that's where i come from the other side of this because i do have some some familiarity with it you know having read uh you know uh excalibur originally back in the day to uh, Mm -hmm. to a certain extent but it's still not a whole whole lot because obviously you know captain britain kind of was his own thing and they've there's been captain britain books and you know and you know been associated with uh other folks and that but but have been less of a less of a player in I guess modern times, recent times, and even so much as they went and killed them out, uh killed them off. But yeah, I, I wouldn't so me going into this was thinking, well like, okay, this is a weird side note, not necessarily the main crux of it. And this other whole thing with uh Araco and, and Krakoa being the the main thing and that this um, that the Brickat Brenton side was just kind of a like a little side chunk that just so happens to spin off on this. But yeah, it seems to be that that was more of a focus than originally I gave it more credit to uh, for one thing. And and again, I still go back to say real quick that yeah, like to what end though, because you don't go and do an event like this and make this a focal point for no reason. Like it doesn't matter marketing aside or anything, you know, you don't just reestablish this thing if you're not going to get some use out of it some kind of way. And I'm kind of curious as to what reason and to why, because that's just a real big thing to kind of like, yeah, here's this whole thing. We brought them back into play and not do anything with them. Well, I think they're they're I think they're at the very least trying to uh, put more focus on the Excalibur corner of the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, and I suspect that is, you know, one of their primary goals, but, I'm willing to see where they're going with this, you know, much the same way, you know, I think that's what you're getting at, which is that can't be the only reason. That right. can't be the main reason. That, that definitely can't be the main reason. Yeah. I, I want to say it's one of the one of the main reasons. It may not be the number one reason. So mm, uh, I don't know. Like I said, there there has to be something something bigger in, in, in the in the thing for this. It, and it may not be. I, mean, I could be wrong about that, but like that's that's a weird thing to have to to hinge let's say half to a good three quarters of, of, a, uh, an event, uh, especially in the, in the, in the X part of the universe on, you know, uh, this early yeah. on also. I was about to say, even I was about to say, I think other than them bringing a Rocco into play, you know, like land wise, right. Um, you know, to, to kind of bring the two together. I think, I honestly think that that was probably Hickman's side of the deal. I think Tinny Howard's side of the deal was to give her, a lot more of the old Excalibur toys to play with. So um, perhaps that I think is, you know, I think is the, 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 some of the main takeaways from this. And obviously that Saturnine is going to continue to be a pain in the neck for uh, the X folks. So right. um, we'll see how this all plays out in the aftermath. I, you know, I think there's a couple of kind of like official quote unquote, official aftermath books in the X books uh, for um, 10 of swords. Now that it's over. So right. we'll see how, all plays out because some relationships some relationships have changed some of them have been um altered uh you know irrevocably and some of them have been born and some have been born anew Mm -hmm. you know and we've got a character that's running around with doug 
um, Cypher. Yeah. Uh, uh, who knows what Krakoa is going to say about that? <laughs> so, um, right. Chelsea and it wasn't that. even the person that I thought it should have been or could have been and should have been, but that's a whole other thing, you know, on the side of that. So, yeah, so more on that. And yeah, we're now going into the reign of X, uh, uh, um, part of the, the X universe going into coming into coming months, especially at the end of the end. We've got news on that later on in the book. So let's get on to a couple more books before we can get kind of push this along a little bit more. Um, I guess let's go ahead and do. The other event type thing real quick, if you want to, in Amazing Spider-Man 53 LR. Sure, go ahead. Um, so we basically find the order of the X. Oh, not, oh, I'm sorry, I'm still mixing oh, this up. Still of swords. Uh, yeah, I know, right? Let me, let me get clear that off. So uh, Sin Eater versus Moreland pretty much goes the way that, well, one, you expected it to, but shouldn't have happened. Because uh, you know, uh, Sinita pretty much sets sets uh, sets out dinner for Moreland, who takes the bait. Um, they have a little scuffle, but apparently, Sinita comes out on top of that for some reason, uh, for whatever reason. Um, and now Moreland's back in the picture for for some uh, for some reason. But then it cuts to Doctor Strange and the Order of the Web, as I was trying to say, that are in Spidey's um, uh, astral place, looking for him. Uh, and they run into uh, a little a little business with some uh, ex with some Spidey foes, which actually, so we knew one of them was the Kingpin, and they said that expressly. Who was the other one? Was that the Rose? Do you know? I, it seemed like a combination of, of a couple things because it looked like a doppelganger with the extra arms, so right. it's hard to tell. Yeah, so I couldn't figure out who that was, but regardless, they're they're there in the um, fighting, you know, uh, dem- demonic versions of uh, Spidey villains. Uh, Doctor Strange splits up the party for some stupid reason. You never do that. Come on, folks. You know D and D. Oh no, he's Gandalf taking on the Balrog, right? So he's sending off everyone else to 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 to, to hang out with Spidey. Well, yeah, well, well, yeah, we'll get to that part. But I meant before that. But they split the party off and says like, "Hey, you know, we're split up and go look for Peter, uh, see if he or see if there's any any traces of him." Which they don't find him, but they find pretty much where he led to. Um, but yeah, at, at the end of it, like um, uh, that person that was in the shadow that looked like MJ was a demonic version of, uh, of MJ, which as uh, agent 70 said, was pretty much the Balrog. And this in this case, Dr. Strange uh, stays behind and fights that while the rest of the order go, go to the, wherever the portal back to earth is. And they get led, they seem to fall into a trap uh, because Sin Eater is pretty much right out outside waiting for them, uh, waiting for them, presumably with Moreland, but we don't know that part, and that's where this uh, this issue ends. Right. Uh, I just wanted to mention that creatively, it's Nick Spencer and Matthew Rosenberg on the script. Art wise, it is Federico Vincentini, Vincentini and Ta- Takeshi Miyazawa on the art, yes. with uh, inks by those two and Scott Hanna and uh, Marcio Menes and Eric uh, Arseniega on colors. So um, it's actually. I definitely, you know, uh, I definitely still don't like the idea that these LR issues exist. Yeah. You know, this definitely feels like something that could be in the regular numbering. But, uh, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse with that one. Yeah. Um, I'm still very much 
um, confused as to why Morlun is brought into the story at all. Uh, you know, it seemed to make little sense that Sin Eater would go this way. Although I definitely like the fact that Sin Eater's narration um, uh, narration uh, squares, they used to be bubbles back in the day, but narration, you know, uh, 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 you know, bits of narration are all in purple and, and, uh, and green, like his uniform color. Mm-hmm. So his color. So I really like that because it clues you in at the end of the book that he is back in charge of the narration. Right. Now we also know that, that, um, you know, this is, this last remains is the, the, let's say the dark metal chapter of this long, uh, long con that, um, that, uh, Nick Spitzer is, is, is this long trip that, uh, Nick Spitzer is bringing us on. So yeah, Mullins and it's supposed to get like deeper and darker for Spidey going, you know, going into whatever the, the last part of this is. So yeah, whatever, uh, Moreland's part in this, you know, Moreland is, let's say, a probably one of the biggest threats of Spidey's career. Like we can mm-hmm. safely say that. So, like, yeah, falling on lesser times now, but at the same time, still, a, still a big enough threat. If not for him, then definitely for the order. However, that plays out. So, yeah, we'll see how that plays out in whatever way that plays out. Um, and going into the last what? Because there's like only like three more there's issues. Three- but yeah, there's three more issues in this last part. Just about to mention that according to the reading list, the last remains checklist, there are only three issues left in the month right. of December for this little mini event. So uh, we will see how this all plays out over the course of two regular Spidey issues and one LR issue. Right, but then it's going to go into the last chapter of whatever Spencer's planning from, from what right. he said early on. So this is just like the, the, the middle chapter that's, that's ending. So. Still buckle up for whatever the rest of this is going to be. Anyway, that's pretty much um, Amazing Spider-Man 53 LR. Do you have a book you want to throw out? Um, did you read Doctor Doom number nine? I sure did. Oh my gosh, I have not read this series consistently at all. I decided to read this book after I woke up from my ill-timed nap, mm-hmm. right? So fell asleep earlier tonight. And uh, I had gotten to, I'd gone through Daredevil, and for whatever reason, I nodded off. Hmm. But I read this Doctor Doom issue on a lark. I have not read this series consist- consistently. I know what the, I, I remember what the premise of the the first several issues of this book was. Right, uh, I, know, know, I talked Doctor about Doom it. Was, right, Doctor Doom was uh, basically framed for right. something, you know, for a crime he didn't commit against humanity. <laughs> But um, this 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 book is written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Salvador La Roca and colors by Guru FX. So you would think that I would be on top of this because um, uh, Sal La Roca is on it. But, it, you know, we read a lot of books, folks. But I am very glad I read this issue this week because it's so wild, so wacky, yet also so great a description of the greatness and the weakness mm-hmm. is of one Victor Von Doom. Yeah, and I would I would say before you go, you go along with that, like this, I to this book's credit, it's been doing that since it started. Like I've been on top of this book since since it started, and I was like, yeah, you can like you see another side of Victor Von Doom, a little you know, um, not necessarily for vulnerability. Well, you've seen him, you know, if you've read previously, you've seen him in a, in a vulnerable state, but nevertheless, like you see a whole different side that you really don't ever get to see in, in Victor during the Hobbs Cause. And yeah, that 
even outside of the whatever he was doing in um, Infamous Iron Man, like this just kind of takes that and just kind of goes like a little bit deeper in sense. But yeah, um, oh god. But anyway, go ahead and what you're gonna say with this? Well, I mean, you know, like uh, since you've been keeping up with this, I just wanted to just touch upon a couple of things I noticed before I get into the story points. Mm-hmm. But you know, Doom is essentially trying to save the world on his own terms, and. Uh, you know, he thinks he's got it right. And to be honest, he probably does have it right. And Reed Richards even admits that he's got it right. And and and, and Cap is actually uh, confiding in Reed like, hey, you think this is going to work? And Reed is like, yeah, this will work. But of course, uh, Doom and his loyal Doom bots programmed with his own, you know, personality, with his own brainwave sometimes, um, you know, they're basically performing the tasks so that they can build the right level, the right amount of, or the right types of technology so that they can collapse a black hole that is plaguing the earth and whatnot. So, uh, that's you know, near the moon, by th- the way. What's that? That's near the moon, by the way. Right. Well, I mean, what I was going to say is this is what's plaguing them. This is what I wasn't familiar with right. because I haven't been keeping up with the story, but Vic is, uh, you know, set this plan into place. He's <laughs> also worked on, uh, setting, you know, he's also come up with contingencies of what to do once he's successful. Yeah, which I found hysterically funny, but well thought out. But also and, very doom like. Oh, of course, of course, because you know he's thinking, well, I want to be the hero so I can rule the earth. Mm-hmm. But after, you know, but before I do that. I think I might have to turn myself in for a little while to pay penance for my crimes. Well, see, so, and, so part of that, so part of that has to do with um, earlier parts of the the book where he sees future. He basically sees visions of future version of himself where he does. Um, well, he has a different life, and that's kind of mm-hmm. what starts off some some catalyst of, of this. Um, but also, I believe there is another ver- that comes to find out that there is another version of him. Uh, I believe it was another version of him that does end up taking over, you know, ruling the earth, you know. Right. You know, with his with his faithful sidekick, uh, Pinky. Uh, so um, so so as so as so as Vic is uh, uh, and of course, I'll call him Vic because that's what Ben Grimm calls him. Right. So as Vic. Uh, goes goes through with his plan and successfully starts the task. Mm-hmm. Reed Richards decides to place. Uh, good luck. Be careful. You know, I think you're gonna you're gonna do well this time. Call and that just totally screws with Vic's mind. Mm-hmm. And you see it play out over several pages and several panels. And you have to credit both Cantwell's storytelling. Uh, in, in the sense of the uh, of the script mm-hmm. and Sal LaRocca's art in store, you know, and in, in the visual storytelling that's contained on these pages, right. you can't help but start <laughs> just, just laughing. I'm laughing at this. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me with this. Mm-hmm. I may have to go back and buy these books later on or pick up a trade paperback because this issue was so good. Mm-hmm. And I literally found myself reading this like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. This is so nuts. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful part about this, because this goes back to like this whole that whole thing with him second guessing himself goes back to the beginning of him and Reed's um, 
uh, relationship where a similar thing happened that caused him to become Dr. Doom, you know, because right. where Doom learned, you know what, once in a while, it helps to have someone double check your numbers. Right. But um, like Doom had a plan back then. I was like, no, he's he's all fine and good. And then Reed comes on and was like, you know, like, like Agent Seven said, was like, yeah, I'm checking the numbers and this and that. And other. But in that case, there was a little bit more doubt than as far as we know that was in this one. But, you know, uh, regardless, a similar thing plays out to where, you know, well, he hadn't built somebody else to check his numbers. In this case, he did. So and it's that's the same the- person. But yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yes, yes, yes. That's that's absolutely right. The, the doom bots. But in, in that earlier case, like, but it still plays out in a similar manner because because of the fact that, you know, doom thinking like, yeah, I got this the numbers check out and my sync, my, everything is sound. I got this. And then Reed Richards, who is, you know, just as smart as he is, but as all, as all an intellectual rival, you know, kind of comes on like, uh, Hey, you know, this is in, in the original case, which causes some would say could, could have caused doom to second guess himself. And then the accident happens and then, you know, everything happens. And of course, Dr. Doom blames Reed then, which is a long-standing thing with, with them even going up to now. So going, coming into this case, you know, Reed just basically comes and says, you know, hey, good luck with your thing. But then it starts playing out like who's on first because they have this back and forth like Agent 70 says. And they're like, well, you said this and this is that. No, I'm like, no, but you said you believe that that's not the same thing as knowing da 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 And that whole thing playing out into this, which causes Doom to second guess himself again, which right, makes him start arguing with himself 10 right. or 20 fold. Right. Which would. When Doom's arguing amongst themselves and reinforcing the little seed of doubt that pops up. Exactly, which causes him to actually change his original plan and then causes something else to happen, you know, and then he goes back and blames Reed again at the end of this because of because of him second-guessing himself, you know, um, I guess by way of Reed, uh, you know, by way of Reed. It, like, this was a beautiful issue for all, for all of that because, like I said, it just pretty much goes back to the whole thing within them in the beginning and now there's a new problem that sort of well i don't know if it's a new problem but basically i'm, I'm kind of curious if it's something that's gonna stick in the long run because at the end of this you know with doom's plan trying to get rid of the uh the black hole he causes another issue with the moon uh i guess technically he did get rid of the black hole but it was not necessarily as safely as um i guess you someone would say the, the the moon might be disfigured just like doom is oh no <laughs> i was about to say watch it be the blue area and all of a sudden you know he's gonna get the watcher coming after him oh not only know. that but you know yeah exactly and and the summer the, you know the summer's clan is up there somewhere so i wonder if this if it's that part like what the fuck you blew up our house <laughs> that's funny man that's so funny yeah i was honestly very much surprised by how much I enjoyed this book. This is a potential click of the week for me. And literally my note this week is potential click of the week, LOL at doom. Because I just, just reading this, I'm like, oh my god, look at this play out. So it right. was pretty, pretty funny. You got a book you want to throw out? Um, hmm. I that sounds actually. I was like, you want? You got a book you want to talk about? <laughs> There's probably a couple of them, but I mean, I can I can short stroke a, a whole lot of these. Um, you want, uh, I was about to say, if you want to go into uh, rapid fire, that's fine too. Um, let's do Maestro. Okay, uh, Maestro number Stro- four, and then we'll yeah, and then we'll um, and then we'll uh, rapid fire. So, so this is um, issue four of five. 
Yeah, uh, this book is written by uh, Peter David, as we know, um, bring you know, uh, <clears throat> touching back on the uh, Hulk feature and perfect stuff, with art by Herman Peralta and colors by Jesus R. Uh, Bertov, that is colors by him himself. Yeah, and v- somebody else from VC apparently does letters. Ariana Mayer or Maher uh, is doing letters. You know, gotta love it. But anyway, right. go I know, on. Right? So uh, it's basically um, Hulk versus um, Hercules Part Two, and I'm kind of well. Going into, before I go into it real quick, but I, I'm kind of upset with myself because I actually genuinely wanted to go back and read uh, Future Imperfect, especially after reading this issue, because at the end of this issue we we start to see where things start to come together. But regardless, um, the short story is that it's it's uh, Hercules versus uh, Bruce Banner, aka the Hulk, uh, Part Two. And, and the um, let's just say the Hulk gets a little bit of his, as I say in my notes, he gets a little bit of his own MCU mess, uh, medicine in, yeah, in the way he gets great. dealt with. That was a great sequence. Yeah, I love that. I was like, all right, that was bravo, bravo. <laughs> but then, the, but then the Hulk, aka Bruce Banner, is like, all right, bet you know what, you won, but I'll be back. <laughs> Like, yeah, I'll be back, you know, seemingly under the guise of like, you know what? Because Hercules was like, all right, you learned your lesson, you know, come on in, have a drink and some women or whatever the case may be. And 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 Bruce is like, you know what? No, nah, I'm going to go. I haven't earned it yet, but I'll be back. And then we cut to Rick Jones, who's like, yeah. Um, so and also in the thing that touches on a little bit of uh, Immortal Hulk, slightly in a sense, who's like, yeah. And so, you know. Banner is just one of uh, one of um, one of the Hulk's personalities. Again, getting a getting a nod to um, Immortal Hulk, but the person that was here earlier was pretty much his dad, and his dad is like, "Look, he's gonna come back and and do whatever it takes for him to win." Like that was the Bruce that that we saw earlier, and sure enough, because and then he was even like, "Lady, that it's not gonna end well," which we already know, you know, historically it's not. Um, he comes back. And with uh with a a young lady with him, I guess as I don't know, I'm not one don't want to say as an offering to Hercules, but in you know, um, but um, you know, as a companion, let's just say, who goes off with Hercules while Hulk is like, yeah, um, I got to go out to my car real quick. I I forgot I forgot something, so he goes off. Hercules and this lady who um, at first I did not know who this was until I saw, when I saw the name and looked it up because I didn't know this person's actual name. Mm-hmm. Uh, come to find out that this is Vapor from the UFOs, which is one of uh, the Hulk's old enemies. I don't know how and why she's still around, but I guess because she's gamma infused, I guess that's still, that makes some sense. And also the nature of her powers. Right. Um. Exactly. So, and we still haven't seen these, which actually we said before, we haven't seen uh, the UFOs in um, in in uh, Immortal Hulk proper. Uh, but I'm so I'm kind of wondering if, the, if, if some of that is going to play out there. It's going to come back to there before the the series ends. Either way, it doesn't need to hear no there. Um, you know, Hercules and, and and Vapor getting introduced to each other. She pretty much takes out Hercules. Uh, Hulk takes out her and uh, basically like, yeah, get rid of Hercules. And I guess this is where he starts to assume control 
uh, at the end of this issue. So he pretty much came back and was like, yeah, I'm going out to the car, get my other gun, and then I'm coming back. And sure enough, comes back much later, and we don't know what the, the length of time was because we know it's been some time, and pretty much has uh, Hercules taken out. And he even goes over and says, like, yeah, the Hulk always wins. It's, in this case, it's not normally. Because even during the whole course of the fight, Hercules is like, look, you're not the Hulk. I mean, you're not the Hulk because the Hulk would have still been fighting and still gotten madder and gotten fighter. Like, this is Banner, who, you know, who knows what his weight is. Or who knows, you know, who knows his limitations or lack thereof, but not really using them to, to how they are. Because there's a mind behind it. And that's what leads him to kind of go off and be like, and come back with a Banner-esque type evil genius plan to get mm-hmm. rid of Hercules. Right. So there's one issue left in this. You you covered most of the points I would have hit. Uh, just one thing. There's one more issue left in this particular miniseries. And then we literally roll right into another one in January. So... Um, if there's a time to kind of read the, it's just two issues. They are oversized, right. but, um, you know, you could probably knock that out over the next month before the next miniseries hit hits. Um, my understanding is that the next miniseries touches upon more of Peter David's Hulk run from the nineties, you know, includes more characters from that. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, I need to go back because I kind of jumped off reading the Hulk uh, at that uh, when these characters kind of became more prominent. Um, this is like during the Gary Frank era. It's like after uh, Dale Keown jumped off to go to Image. Uh, Gary Frank was the primary artist on the Hulk, and I was kind of on and off the Hulk um, at that time. And there's a, a specifically a group of characters that were playing a very prominent role in the Hulk issue, in the Hulk book at that time that I believe play. Um, a role in the next Maestro Limited series. So uh, I may have to go back to Marvel Unlimited myself and do some research. But mm. um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, while you know while this series is ending and before the next one starts, I think it's a great time to just kind of pick up those two issues and just read them because they are a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of dark. Don't get me wrong. It's dark. Um, but uh, it's still a very good read. Cool. Uh, that being said, if there's nothing else... Um... Yeah, I'm going to rapid fire this. All right, here we go. Rapid fire time. Uh, Let's see. You, I think I got a little bit more than you do. So you want to go ahead and do. We covered most of the books that I read. One is Daredevil number 24. This is another potential click of the week for me. This is. Um, and and my uh, my 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 notes essentially in very brief order say, surprise! Nothing goes the way you expect it to. <laughs> um, uh, take it from the lawyer on the panel. I fully expected this issue by uh, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Mike Hawthorne, uh, inks by J.P. Mayer, and colors by Mattia Iacono. Um. I fully expected the beginnings of a courtroom drama to play out. And no, I did not get that. None of us got that. It totally was a surprise as to how this was going to play out. Um, uh, Several players have revealed themselves uh, in this uh, long-form Daredevil story uh, relatively recently. Um, Once the, you know, once the battles of hell, the the battle of Hell's Kitchen kind of, um, 
uh, ended and, and, and this fight to bring in Daredevil to answer for um, the death of a, a, a small-time criminal that he had a part in trying to apprehend, um, you know, once that, once that, that legal battle uh, is, is now, you know, essentially coming to a close, lots of players have, have entered this uh, particular uh, board. We've got Tony Stark doing a little bit. We've got uh, Mike Murdoch, who is, who is uh, come back into Zdarsky's story, playing a part. We also have Kirsten McDuffie, who came over from, I want to say, Mark Wade's run on Daredevil, coming in to play a part. And all of these characters come in, and like I said, nothing goes the way you expect it to. You don't get the courtroom drama, and uh, at the end of this issue, we find ourselves with Daredevil heading back to some place where, if I'm not mistaken, Bendis last left him. And I want to say Fraction also put him there, but I'm not sure. I got to go back and look, but definitely Bendis back in the day. So um, I was surprised that this, this, that this uh, particular legal battle did not play out the way I thought it would. Uh, next up is Philadelphia number 10. Um, this is still a story that you can pick up because it's not that far along. We really are through one collected editions worth of stories um this is uh i believe the second issue in the second kind of major story arc i think the first arc really only lasted eight issues so we're only two issues into this um this second big story arc for the philadelphia series by uh written by rodney barnes with art by jason sean alexander color by luis nicht and lettering by Marshall Dillon. Uh, that's a cool name, you know, for those history buffs out there. But, um, the, you know, lots of, uh, uh, you know, th th there's definitely some, uh, some history being told here in terms of some of the characters who are proving to be more prominent in this second story arc. We get some backstory on uh, uh, how this particular character became a vampire and we see more of the current um, uh, offensive being waged by the vampires at the behest of Abigail Adams. And there are lots of um, uh, moving parts in the story. It's sometimes hard to remember who's commanding what and what, you know, and where they're going because there are definitely several players on this particular board who um, are, are moving. Uh, you know, are, are, are kind of putting their own plans in motion. So um, I would definitely not start with this issue, but it's still early enough in this story that you can pick up the entire series and uh, figure out what's going on. It's well, it's well worth your time. Um, I think Roddy Cat will have read the next book I'm going to talk about, which is Shang-Chi number three. Yep. Uh, is... Written by Jean Luen Yang, with art by D.K. Ruan. Uh, Philip Tan does the flashback art, and Sebastian Chang uh, does the colors, and VC's Travis Let uh, Lanham does the the, uh, the letters. Uh, we get a little bit of more of a history lesson uh, from uh, uh, from uh, Brother Saber as he's explaining to Shang Chi uh, how the houses of um, 
you know, the different houses have uh, been scattered around the world. Shang-Chi gets to finally put on his newly designed costume teased on the cover of issue number one, uh, designed by uh, Jim Chung. Uh, Sister Dagger is not exactly on board with uh, Shang-Chi just yet. They're trying to do some, uh, uh, some, some, some practice, trying to take out these... Uh, what are they calling them? They're kind of like zombie-esque ninja. Jiangxi. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, trying to, you know, work out their tactics to take them out using these paper talismans to uh, to take them out. Um, uh, Shang-Chi also reveals that he is slowly nursing an injury. Um, I hate to say this, Shang-Chi is one of those dudes that would hide a zombie bite, apparently. Um, so, I mean, that's sort of what is going on right now, but, uh, but, uh, but sister daggers, um, uh, uh, walks in on Shang having, uh, visions that are leading him to, uh, open up secret compartments in the house of the, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, the house of the, uh, the house of the daggers, um, House of the the Deadly Dagger, I think it is. Yes, right. So, um, Sister Dagger discovers this and basically chases him out of the house. He doesn't have a chance to explain. So Shang does uh, what a lot of us do, which is do some research. <laughs> he goes to the library. Um, you know, if it's not online, unfortunately, you do have to go to the library. So uh, you know, he does his research and um, basically. Um, is in contact with Leiko Wu, who puts him onto the fact that uh, Sister Hammer is in France right now at the Louvre doing a break-in, you know, like uh, going after some stuff. And, uh, you know, the, the, the siblings join the fray, you know, uh, Brother Saber and Sister Dagger join the fray. And um, the three of them take on um, Sister Hammer and the minions. But it turns out that... Um, you know, uh, Shang-Chi uh, 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 gets injured by an explosion, and that's when Brother Saber and Sister Dagger discover that uh, essentially Shang has been bitten by a zombie, at least in a form. So um, that is going to be where we leave this issue. Right, and then the only thing I'll just add is, like, I, I basically said that Sister Dagger is the Damian Wayne of this um of this uh, equation because she, she's pretty much kind of like that. But also the, the Jiang Shi are pretty much um, are steeped in some lore, let's just say, so that you could actually look up and, and find out about uh, if you so decide, if you don't already know, because I'm sure there are some people that probably already know about that 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 stuff. And, right, and, and no surprise because uh, Gene Yang, Gene Wen Yang is definitely someone who does his uh, homework on these things. Mm-hmm. So that's that's always good to see. And yeah, the the whole the the thing about um, before Shang Chi got got chased off was that his he thought it was his dad that was the the ghost that was um, that was uh, trying to talk to him, but apparently it was his uncle, which we find out a little bit you know about what happened to him earlier in the in the uh, issue thanks to his dad. Uh, and yeah, that his dad was pretty much like um, his dad had hid his shrine on his other sh- on you know behind his, his his dad hid his uncle's shrine behind his shrine basically. But apparently, I don't know if the people in this house knew that or not. When you know Sister Decker 
came and chased him out. So that's pretty much that, though. That's it for me. Oh, yeah. And we do find out her name, uh, uh, her actual name in the course of this issue or at the end of this issue, which, of course, she would be named similarly to a cuckoo. Of course. I was about to say, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm like, hey, we're reusing names here. Yeah. I think it's a nice name, but I was like, wow, she, wait, she, she's, she's got the same name as a cuckoo, of course. It makes total sense. Um, so, yeah, so that's, you said that is it for you. Um, a lot of this week. Okay. Huh? You read a lot this week. A little bit, a little bit. Um, Injustice Year Zero, number 11. So after what happened with Jay, the League decided to move the rest of the dynamite to a box in space. Uh, but the Joker ended up being one step ahead of them. So basically, yeah, the Justice League was like, okay, the Joker, well, they found out that the Joker is behind us and, and the way he's possessing folks. Um, and they get this plan to move the rest of the Justice Society and the League to the Watchtower, which they end up doing, but the Joker kind of already had a grasp on one of the members uh, that they went to go escort to the Watchtower. And this person ends up causing some havoc at the end of this uh, at the end of this issue. So, uh, Batman White Knight presents Harley Quinn number two, and so it's on Harley versus Neo Joker until tea time. At least uh, we find out that they have some common ground not just to, not just the fact that the um, of whatever involvement with the Joker, uh, and that apparently that's not the only person that they have a common involvement with. Because um, Poison Ivy comes uh, comes home to, and you find out that um, it is implicated that her and Neo Joker uh, might be an item. She says roommates, but she hesitated. So, you know, it goes how that goes. But anyway, uh, and they also even say that's a story for another time. So I suspect there's probably going to be another miniseries at some point that's or an issue that's going to uh, mention, do something with that. Which is, which is fine. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Come to find out that it wasn't as cut and dry as we were led to believe, but there's no surprise there because, you know, of course, it was not Neo Joker that was the one behind the, the killings that were, the serial killings that was happening. Uh, that it's somebody called the producer. Uh, and there's also someone else that they have now taken to call the starlet, who we see uh, pop up in this issue, at the end of this issue, who has stricken again to a... Um, I say in my notes a Batman TAS icon let's just say someone that um, inspired Bruce Wayne and you mm. pretty much know about that and I'm also calling it here that the person that they're trying to find this producer person is probably somebody that's trying to get close to Harley right at this moment whether she knows it or not or whether that ends up being the case you know who's the case who's to see and we also get a little bit um, more into backstory with Harley and Jack Napier, uh, the Joker of this universe um, throughout the course of this issue. So yeah, like I said, I've been, in, I've been joining Joe Saris and still enjoying it, so it's pretty still good. Falcon and Winter Soldier, number five. I'm actually surprised you hadn't read this. I skimmed it. I wanted to uh, give it another go. Gotcha. So, I won't, then I won't spoil anything, but it, it's not that much different than the, the last few issues. 
but except for this is the last issue of the the miniseries, and so yeah, no, I did. I just didn't go. I didn't like look. You know, I didn't like read every line of dialogue. So you can you can spoil. I I, I know what happens. So. Yeah, isn't really not much to it, honestly. Uh, but Sam and Bucky get their their clocks cleaned, but get saved saved by the Naturals' um, ADHD. Um, you might as well say it, and the scuffle between Veronica Eden and um, and Baron Zemo. And Veronica Eden pulls a Revenge of the Sith, yep. uh, which I found kind of amusing. I'm like, all right, cool. Um, Sam finds the person who he was looking for, and yet yeah, it ends up kind of how you think it was. There was a couple of good uh, pages in, in this issue where, um, where, where they were like, well, Sam and Bucky were like, well, half of these, like... These uh, other Hydra agents are not going to let all of us stay alive because you have Veronica who's trying to who, trying to get control of Hydra. And you have Barazino also trying to do that, and you know they both have people under their control at that battle. So they were basically waiting. I was like, look, we need to get rid of some of these people <laughs> so to kind of even odds because we know everybody's you know they're, they're going to be after who's ever left or you know take out whoever first. So that whole couple of pages when they go through that whole thing was was pretty funny. Uh, um. So I enjoyed the issue, if not for that, than anything else. But it was, it was this has been a, a fun book. You know, they they got that show coming up. You know, so there was really no stakes in here. You know, in this whole whole thing. But I think it's probably worth three because it's kind of fun. Anyway, uh, Werewolf by Night number two. Uh, a, a they live quote and a musically inspired beatdown starts this issue off. Okay, um, I guess we do see where Red Wolf comes into the picture and is connected to this uh, whole thing. And we also get a little bit uh, of backstory into um, uh, Jake's uh, uh, Jake's younger days, I guess, when he got his um, or before and or when he got his um, werewolf powers. And his dad is mentioned and, and shows not that shows images of him, but it doesn't look like Jack Russell that we know originally to be the uh, um, werewolf by night. But we do see another image of. A were- the werewolf of, of um, um, werewolf by night, night by night, so we still don't necessarily know, you know, whether there's any more connective tissue between those two characters and you know, and uh, and Jake and I think his name is Jake. I don't want to, uh, yeah, Jake's um, and his dad. What the you know what what their connection to it is, but um, let's see. Uh, yeah, and that's pretty much it on that one. It's, it's all right. Um, Fantastic Four Antithesis number four. This is the last issue of this uh, miniseries. Again, this is another one of those kind of like, um, uh, you know, new stories set in a uh, 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 time a while ago. This is pretty much set when uh, Val was basically uh, still a baby. So, you know, you got a little, little Franklin. This is around that time of the Fantastic Four. But anyway, uh, this Galactus's helmet uh, is a little bit baked for him. So basically at the end of that last issue, Reed uh, ended up in Galactus's suit of armor and took his place with the power cosmic and everything. Apparently we find out in this issue, he did it for a reason uh, because part of this whole thing was like, he wasn't feeling as smart as he normally would going through into this miniseries, And, you know, he was having doubts about his own, worth to the team and to the family and whatnot. And we kind of found out his reasons for why he did this was twofold. Because one, he wanted to get rid of the threat of Galactus. 
because he was like, well, he knows without having to feed, he's gonna Galactus is gonna die, and therefore there will be no more Galactus. And also, he was trying to basically kickstart his brain because he was feeling like he wasn't as smart as he used to be. But of course, the family talked him down, and everything went back to normal. Galactus went back to, um, you know, being Galactus. Uh, the Silver Surfer kind of shuffled off with him, and the families was uh, back together thanks to a plan with uh, of Ben's actually and um, Agatha Harkness, or with help by Agatha Harkness. So, and apparently we find out at the end of this that uh, Galactus has a little bit of Reed uh, with him. And since this is set at a time, long time ago, we can say that, that I guess that supposedly that little bit of humanity that Reed left with him in passing or in passing on, supposedly it stayed with him. I don't know what they're supposed to get out of this whole thing. But like I said, this kind of seemed like one of those things that may supposedly lead to something else or may even play into things that I've already done, who even knows. Um, but it is what it is. Power Pack, number one. Yeah, I know. Surprise, I'm read this, given the shit I've given Power Pack. Shout out to Matt Wayne, 97, who I'm sure is, who, who's going to be all over this book. Um, and, uh, Wow, the first few pages are really befitting the origin they are retelling. Uh, wow, I legit thought that the parents knew by now that the kids had powers apparently they still don't even up until uh issue of fantastic four 26 which just came out last week and some of that kind of gets not necessarily mentioned but they do mention the fact that yeah uh alex and julie are back from space that just got back from space which is also really interesting because um we found out something at the end of this some bit of timing at the end of this which we also actually goes go so far as saying this is also a part of the outlawed uh, miniseries, which you know been the delayed and that kind of plays into some of this. So it's actually pretty good that Fantastic Four twenty six came out. Now whether that was a change or whether that was supposedly naturally happened, we don't know. But you know, like I said, because they're back on Earth and the the, the family's back together again, um, that kind of plays into some things. So anyway, uh, Jack says yeet. Uh, in in a kind of not right way, but right way, which is kind of weird. Um, a good thing Fantastic Four twenty six uh, came in after this, like I just mentioned, but no need to go on that. Uh, when it did, or this would be confusing or different. Oh yeah, the whole thing is from the youngest uh, Katie's perspective. Um, and there's a news break that kind of starts off the the rest of the issue that seems sounds like a trap. Whether it was or not, it doesn't really matter. Uh, the power pack is back and they're going up against an old, an old enemy that I know nothing about. And uh, this Nico Leo Leon art is very nice. It's kind of actually pretty good. And the sword of colors, uh, which are befitting this book. Uh, and as I said just now, this is a, um, an outlaw tie-in, um, which I said in my notes that the couple of kids should have known about by now, but the way this is set, it is pretty much right after Kamala Law goes into effect because they even say in the book it was like, "Hey, it's six. It's actually six o'clock, and this new law just got into put in effect. So this is pretty much pretty much sets the time frame of when this book is about to solve. And also, you can also say in, by relation, Fantastic Four twenty six because since they just or half of the group just came back from space in that issue last week. Uh, there and that. Otherwise that, yeah, it, it, it's not 
wasn't a bad issue, I guess, you know, like I said, power pack is not necessarily one of my favorite groups in the Marvel universe. And, but it, yeah, sure. They they have a place, I guess. And it's, I think it's only a mini series, so it doesn't matter one way or the other. Uh, last book, but not least, I didn't get really get a chance to read this. So there's not really much I can say about it outside of that. It might be worth checking out in that it, the other history of the DC universe just came out this week. Uh, number one, uh, it's written by John Ridley, who you know from Je- uh, 12 Years of Slave and other things. Um, and it is a lot of text and with some with some graphics along with it. And it looks like it's per- the perspective of it is from, uh, well, at least it starts off from what I read. Um, uh, starts off with uh, from the perspective of one Jefferson Pierce, a.k.a. Black Lightning. And it kind of goes through in a lot of that. And, and I think the whole thing might be going through the whole thing. Like I, said, I hadn't really read the whole thing, but going through it, you know, you can tell the perspective that it's from, and it's definitely from Black Lightning's perspective. So looks like it might be worth checking out a little bit, bro, but like I, said, I don't know, I'll give more impressions later after I finish checking it out. And that is it for me. All right. Clicks of the week time. Mm-hmm. And we already got a couple of clicks of the week from our other hosts. Uh, Dirt is, and let me pull up his note again, actually. Devil's Highway, uh, number five of five, apparently. Uh, Vet solves her father's murder by uncovering a serial killer ring hidden within the long-haul trucker community. Series ends with a lot of uh, material for more stories. And uh, come to find out in looking up this thing, this is a Benjamin Percy book, which I'm, which may pique the interest of one to Agent 70. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, at the end of the day, this is uh, published under AWA Studios, so there are always a, there's always a, a place for a, 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 some of these slightly... Uh, well, let's say the non-superhero books, because mm-hmm. we do tend to focus on superhero books with the variant, with the, with the, um, the, the random kind of image style uh, indie books that we that we get a chance to read. But we don't always get access to all of the uh, the publications uh, every week. So um, AWA is something we we haven't um, really dove into yet. So um, it's nice that. Uh, PCN underscore dirt is giving that public that uh, publishing house some love. Sure. And this. Oh, and the second book from that we got uh, is from Tim, which is uh, 10 of swords destruction. Number one for his click. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of almost want to second that cause it was pretty good, but I'm not, well, I'm, the- I don't I'm. Gonna, I was about to say I'm going to um, not choose Ten of Swords Destruction number one as my click of the week, but definitely back Tim up on that because it really sure. was well done. In terms of in terms of an issue ending a big crossover event, it actually did pretty well um, in terms of setting the new status quo without having an aftermath issue, like an official other aftermath issue. Hmm. We actually do get. Um, uh, part of the next part of the story here, although we will probably see some fallout issues, as I mentioned earlier. Um, I am going to go with Dr. Doom number nine because I literally was cackling reading this issue. I was nice. cackling laughing. Like, seriously, LOL at Doom. So, shout out to Christopher Cantwell and uh, Sal LaRocca on that. Dr. Doom number nine 
is my click of the week. Nice. Um. Hmm. Yeah, for myself, like that. Yeah, there's, there's there's definitely a couple of them. That I, the, both those picks are really pretty good. Um, you can't go wrong with either one of those. Um, I'm thinking though, I'm probably just uh, that Falcon and Winter. Shout out that Falcon and Winter Soldier book because that was actually a, a, a fun read. Like I said, just didn't really go anywhere do anything, but it was it was kind of just a fun action book. Um, but I think, yeah, I probably will just go ahead and, and back up, uh, Tim on, uh, uh, 10 of swords destruction. All right. Cause I do like the, uh, the way a lot of that kind of played out and especially when the, the cavalry comes, comes in and everything just kind of happens because like it, it, the ending was, I felt slightly low clean to me, but at the same time, we also know there was, well, not fully clean because we know there's a bunch of loose ends that's going to come back, but cleaning us to where it's like, well, there's. There you go for that part of it. But it had to end some kind of way, so I can't be mad at the way it ended. Part of me is like, yo, I know it's a corn. It's I, I'm sure it's a a, a well and often uh, often taken picture, you know, in the uh, action figure comic book art community. I feel like I want to pick up, I want to drag out a Doctor Doom uh, figure and put his hands up and have him yell out, you know, like in the pose, yell out, Richard. <laughs> After reading that uh, that Doctor Doom issue, seriously, I'm, I'm I'm enthusiastic about catching up on that series now. So. Yeah, like I said, you should. It's a, it's a pretty good series. Like I said, it's not the most action focused because it kind of just like you know, it is what it is. Like it's especially like this is probably the most one of the most action, if anything, uh, you know, that you've seen. And it wasn't a whole lot of action in this issue, but you know. Is of more right. exposition than anything, which but that's kind of how the book's been, but it's still good. You know, the yeah. book doesn't have to necessarily have a fight in it to be good every every issue. Of course, of course, of course. So there is that, and that is the clicks of the week. Uh, but yeah, Doctor Doom is actually pretty good. Go check it out. Uh, now we we'll go on before we get to the news section. Get to an ad read. All right, folks, we are in our post Thanksgiving uh, food coma. Uh, what better way to help ease our way into or out of that food coma, coma other than with Wink, your personalized wine club? Wink is a world of wine delivered right to your door. From rosé to cabernet to torrente, Wink has over 100 styles of wine to discover. Have you ever tried an orange wine? Wink connects you to a world of exclusive wines tailored to your tastes and delivered direct, directly to your door. Uh, Wink delivers four bottles of wine to you every month with free shipping. You can pick your own bottles or let Wink choose and match to your taste. It doesn't cost a thing to become a member and you can skip or cancel anytime. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy an exclusive discount of $20 off your first order. To place your first order with $20 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us forward slash wink. That's cspn.us forward slash w-i-n-c. Wink wines through CSPN. Do it today. Now we get into the news. 
Cinematic news. And we start off with some sad news, actually. A couple of bits of sad news. Um, and this first one actually happened the day we recorded last week. Uh, now that I think about it, and I just didn't mention it then. But uh, Kirby Morrow, X-Men Evolutions, Cyclops, and Dragon Ball Z's Goku, which that part I didn't know, dies at 47. Um, Canadian actor, voice actor, Kobe Morrow, known for, like, like I said, the aforementioned Cyclops and X-Men Evolution, and Moroku, oh, that's Moroku, and Inuyasha, and Goku and the Ocean dub of Dragon Ball Z. Okay, that's part of why I didn't recognize that. Uh, has passed away. He was 47 years old. Um, apparently, Kirby Morrow was also a part of the, had some parts in the Stargate franchise which i did not know of also uh maybe it was in um i don't know what part of uh of stargate stargate was he was in uh but yeah uh see i don't know if it says what he passed away from oh it says uh also captain dave climbing in stargate atlantis okay that makes some sense i didn't there's someone that he didn't see but he's also been a whole bunch of stuff um, yeah, it doesn't necessarily say here what he passed away from, though, but, uh, condolences to, um, his friends and family and, and all in that. Next up. Uh, in other sad news, David Hemblin, the actor who's measured distinguished performance as Magneto on X-Men the End of the Series, endeared him to a generation of fans, passed away on November 16th at the age of 79. Hamblin was also well regarded for his performance as the resistance leader, Jonathan Doors, on the first four seasons of syndicated sci-fi television series, Earth Final Conflict, which was developed based off of ideas of Star Trek's Gene Roddenberry. Okay. Oh, wow. I remember that show. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Again, condolences. Uh, Next up. A problematic Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends episode carries a warning on Disney Plus, um, which I meant to check out this episode. But um, so Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends, uh, basically, is episode uh, Sunfire, which you know in- introduces that character to the Amazing Friends uh, part of the, the animated universe. Apparently, is going to have a viewer warning at the beginning of it about uh, dealing with uh, racing. Well, not dealing with, but uh, having to do with racially insensitive content because this was done at a different time, and there were certain tropes and uh, stereotypical tropes in that uh, show, and a couple others in that series that, um, yeah, probably wouldn't sit right these days, uh, especially having to do with that character now according to this apparently they the the red skull episode which i knew i I figured there was an episode or two missing um is not on disney plus for i guess a similar reason so according to this article but yeah but it says here the disclaimer states that the episode contains negative depictions of people and cultures uh disney plus well yeah Disney Plus, according to this article, chooses to acknowledge the problematic and racist portrayals in Sunfire instead of removing the episode from the streaming service entirely, unlike what happened to the Quest for the Red Skull episode. So, there you go. Next up. 
Uh, next up is some stuff we already talked about, so I might skip to the next one if that's okay. Uh, yeah, basically this has to do with the, the Mandalorian and, and the whole marketing thing, so yeah, push, push on. Exactly. Anyone, right, for anyone who wants to review that, you can go back to our discussion on, um, uh, on the Mandalorian episode, uh, last week's Mandalorian episode, actually. Uh, next up, um... The Mandalorian wearing Bo-Katan's armor brought Katie Sackoff to tears, and I cannot blame her. Um, playing a prominent role in the animated series Star Wars The Clone Wars, Bo-Katan Kreese made her live-action debut in Disney Plus's The Mandalorian. Actor Katie Sackoff sorry, uh, revealed in an interview with Variety that she was moved to tears the first time she wore Bo-Katan Kreese's armor, admitting that she was overwhelmed quote, overwhelmed and so excited, end quote, to be in the same outfit as the character she had voiced in The Clone Wars. It was an emotional moment she believed encompassed her stepping up into something greater than herself or yourself as she readied herself to become a part of The Mandalorian. She states that Dave Filoni was there the first time she had her whole costume on and she had tears in her eyes. She was so overwhelmed and so excited. Oh, go Starbuck. Um, yeah, for that was that must have been a really cool moment right but also on the other side of that kind of sad for other characters and other fun people which we again we've already kind of talked about so but you know it, it right is. it's one thing when you know they, they literally designed the design the character after the voice actor right. you know it's like all right that's pretty cool and i feel like if she doesn't walk away from uh this show with a set of bo-katan armor it would be kind of yeah, no, I, I I would not be. Yeah, I I'd agree with that. Uh, next up, still on the Mandalorian train, though, Pedro Pascal shares retro style Chapter Twelve poster. Um, so apparently there is a someone someone made a retro style poster of the Mandalorian, which you can see on the video of this here po- uh, podcast if you are watching it. So and you should check it out sometimes on. Oh, by the way. Um, for last week's episode, uh, chapter 12, uh, and, uh, with the title of old school, which was not the title of the, um, of the episode, but still it looks good. It, it definitely has a, a retro feel to it. And it doesn't, does it say here, uh, wait, let me say who, who made it. Um, illustrated by the artist at the butcher Billy, um, on Twitter, I guess. Or Instagram, which oh, it says on Instagram through uh, uh, Pedro Pascal's uh, fan page, I guess. So yeah, that's cool. Next up, all right. Next up, the CW Stargirl finds its latest JSA member, Jakeem Thunder. The CW Stargirl has cast the originals alum. Alcoya Brunson to play Jakeem Thunder, the new wielder of the Thunderbolt pen in a recurring role. According to Decider, Alcoya Brunson will join season two in a recurring role as Jakeem Thunder, the new wielder of the Thunderbolt pen. Uh, Brunson's casting hits two weeks after comedian Jim Gaffigan was announced to voice Thunderbolt, a wish-granting creature from the fifth dimension. In the comics, Jakeem Williams is Johnny Thunder's successor. He received Johnny's pink pen by accident, only later discovering the, quote, genie inside Thunderbolt, a creature from the fifth dimension. 
A reluctant hero, Jakeem eventually took up the name Jakeem Thunder. He was invited into the JSA by Courtney, Stargirl Whitmore, and became friends with Rick Tyler, a.k.a. Our Man, who also appears on the CW series. And my collective, uh, and my reaction to this is... Who? <laughs> I, 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 when I saw this article, I was kind of curious as to why they went with Jakeem Thunder. And I also was curious as to... I wonder if that had any, or if um, Jakeem Thunder's recent showing in Teen Titans, or relatively recent showing in Teen Titans, had anything to do with that, in a sense. Not necessarily directly, but, you know, like, because this is a character that hadn't been out there for a while, so that's kind of interesting. Anyway, uh, next up, though, Legends of Tomorrow homages Dr. Strangelove with Mass Effect actor. Uh, Nick Bishop will guest star in season six episode uh, Bay of Squids as warmonger General Kilgore, uh, who encourages John F. Kennedy to launch to launch World War Three after an alien presence is detected in Cuba. Uh, it falls to Nate Haywood and Zaria Tarazi to stop him. Uh, the episode is meant to riff on the classic Stanley Kubrick film Doctor Strange Love or How I Love to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Uh, and if people are, who are Mass Effect fans who don't know who that is, apparently this is a person who was in Mass Effect Andromeda. So we got this. I'm sure fans of that series would probably know what that reference was to. Next up, though. All righty. Next up. Uh, new Justice League photo reveals Deathstroke's return in the Snyder Cut. Um, the mercenary is sporting a new look for Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, more information about the HBO Max miniseries is gradually making its way to the internet. Um, recently it was revealed that additional photography took place with Joe Manganiello, uh, reprising his role of Deathstroke, as well as Jared Leto back as the Joker with a new look. Now Manganiello has given us our best look yet at Deathstroke in the Snyder Cut with a new picture posted to his Twitter, captioned, Heroes and villains can put their differences aside for an important cause. The major difference between this version of the mercenary and the glimpse we we caught of him in the theatrical Justice League post credit scene is a hardcore new haircut. The Mohawk is a now I gotta look at this. The Mohawk <laughs> is a pretty dramatic change, so it's easy to speculate that this and Joker's road be renew style are from a nightmare vision of the future, like the one oh cares. Now I gotta look at this picture. So if you're watching the video, you've seen, you see the picture in question and yeah, it's, it's Deathstroke with a mohawk, which almost kind of makes him look like either a Michael Rooker or, um, 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 oh God, what's his name from Cheers? Uh, Woody Harrison <laughs> kind of looks more, look, looks like either one of them, uh, with this haircut, but anyway, Sure. New Wonder Woman 84 TV spots show off new footage ahead of December release. So last week we talked about uh, Wonder Woman is going to be out on Christmas uh, on HBO Max. But anyway, um, uh, originally Wonder Woman 1984 was meant to reach cinemas in December 2019 before all of those delays. uh, As well as full length trailers, we've now been treated to two brand new TV spots showing off a little bit more of Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, the first season, Young Diana Prince, played by played by Lily Aspel, as well as the Amazons taking part in some seriously intense sports. Um, 
according to this article. There's loads of golden lasso swinging, Gal Gadot's uh, Diana and Chris Pine's Steve Trevor together, and Wonder Woman in her new golden armor. Of course, a lot of the stuff we've seen, you know, in, in spots in the past. But those are out there. You can go check out. Um, and the second spot is uh, more focused on Christian Wig as uh, Cheetah with a new look at the fights between her and Diana, which is also, like, if you've seen the one main trailer you've kind of seen bits and pieces of both of these tv spots basically so yeah there is though next next up hbo max has picked up dmz series from ava duvernay it's been reported that it's been picked up by hbo max a year after it was announced um oh wait i think you missed mine oh did i miss one i'm sorry no that's fine keep, keep keep doing that one. Oh wait a second titan share oh okay you'll take that one yeah i'll take that yes. one um uh let's see hbo max has announced that the series has placed an order for the limited series which will contain four episodes patino will serve uh that is roberto patino uh will serve as showrunner and will write all four parts of the show production on dmz is scheduled to begin sometime in 2021 okay cool beans uh let's see Titans share a peek at Starfire's season three costume. So ahead of its full reveal, which was uh, a few days ago, uh, HBO's uh, HBO Max's Titans have offered a glimpse of the new costume the uh, DC Comics uh, Starfire will wear in season three, uh, and you can get glimpses of uh, said um, said reveal in the article. Uh, uh, in here. And if you're watching the uh, video, you can kind of see the shots that they kind of pieced together. They basically did like uh, puzzle pieces of shot, uh, of shots and they put them together. But that at the time that I pulled this article wasn't all, uh, all put together, but nevertheless, you can, you get the idea next up. Next up, uh, pink Panther live action. CGI film is currently in development at, Metro Goldwyn Mayer with Sonic the Hedgehog director Jeff Fowler set to helm the project. The big cat first appeared in the 1963 film bearing his name. Like Edwards is the Pink Panther, but he wasn't the star. The comedy follows bumbling French police detective Inspector Clouseau, Peter Sellers, as he seeks to prevent the theft of the Pink Panther, a large pink diamond with a fault that resembles a leaping panther. The cartoon panther only appears in the opening and closing credits of the film and of almost every other film in the franchise that followed, right up to 2009's The Pink Panther 2, starring Steve Martin as Clouseau. Okay. I kind of wish we had the music clip, a uh, music singer of the uh, the Pink Panther, but that's fine. Y'all, y'all already <laughs> heard it in your head. <laughs> yeah, either that one or the end of it, one of the two, but either way it would have worked. So... Uh, there you go all right the expanse season five will draw draws from the books five and six uh expanse showrunner naren shankar uh, revealed new details about the show's upcoming fifth season including the that the plot was inspired by elements from books five and six in the james s.a Corey book series Quote, unquote, uh, you know how it works over the years, how it's worked over the years. It's like certain storylines get pulled forward. Other stuff gets pushed back sometimes. Shankar told Entertainment Weekly, uh, character elements got combined into other stuff. There's definitely some elements of book six in, in this season, I would say. Uh, but 
it's largely drawn from book five. And then article goes in on talking about the, the fifth book, which is called Nemesis Games and all that stuff. The Expanse is a good show. You should check it out. That's all I'm going to say. I need to catch up on the fifth season. Or the, actually, the last couple of seasons, but regardless. Next up. All right. Well, I guess we're transitioning to comic book news now. Yes, we are. All right. Here is our transition. Uh, oh, before I do that, actually, I would say that check out the, the clickbait section because there's a couple of good things and uh, uh, and there's not much, but there's, uh, there's a couple of things. Uh, there's a story in there about the actress who uh, plays in, who's a, a deaf actress who plays in the Miles Morales Spider-Man game. And there's an article with her about that. And apparently they even use some SA, uh, ASL in uh, um, uh, Miles Morales Spider-Man game. So that's pretty cool. And also there's a Twitter link to um, what was Stan Lee on the F word. Uh, I guess it was a voice recording that uh, a sound engineer made and that was set to some animation that was um, basically Stan Lee talking about uh, the use of the uh, the F word. It's, it's, it's pretty cool, and you should check it out. Anyway, um, the Phoenix Force comes to Earth in Avengers 40 preview. So Marvel has approved, uh, released a preview of uh, Javier Garon's interior pages from uh, Avengers number 40, in which the Phoenix Force returns to the Earth this December to find a new host. Uh, in fact, it'll find a whole host of hosts, as this article says, uh, recruiting the Avengers, uh, some X-Men, and more into a tournament to be the new permanent bearer of its power. Another contest of champions, uh, Roddy postulates, or maybe it... Oh, I can't be sick, so we already done that. Anyway, the infamous firebird of cosmic destruction and rebirth known as Freedom Force has returned to Earth to find a new avatar, reads to solicitations, yada, yada, yada. Um, and you can see preview pages in the article below. Next... Next up, Marvel has released a preview of interior pages from writer Leah Williams and artist David Baldion's X-Factor number 5, which puts the X-Factor investigations team uh, back in their regular stories on the trail of a mystery of a mystery surrounding Adam X, also known as Extreme, in Mojo World. In the pages, the X-Factor team watches as Adam X hosting a Hot Ones-style online show. Uh... Who called Adam X's hot seat follows an audience vote and murders the mutant wind dancer on camera, effectively creating a mutant snuff film. It's a disturbing scene that will definitely require a serious follow up from Krakoa's mutant investigators who seek out proof of death in order to resurrect murdered mutants. As North Star dryly observes, proof of death for a wind dancer seems all too readily available. Okay. Right, so this is basically taken off from the stuff that was before uh, Ten of Swords happened. Uh, matter of fact, I don't think X Factor only had like one issue in the, in the event. <coughs> if that. No, I think they only had one issue. Mm. But yeah, before that, the, 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 the whole thing with Wind Dancer and her murder happened before this, and yeah, they had gotten to a point with it, so apparently this is continuing on that. And I was just going to say that, yeah, it's going to be weird getting back to regular, regular issues after... Um, after Tender Swords is now wrapped up, but here we are, or here we will be. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. That's a uh, Roddy Cat's tea um, coming back and uh, <coughs> taking peace out of him. Actually, no, it was me needing to drink some tea because for some reason, for some reason, um, 
it's yeah. Anyway, hmm. I I just thought it was funny where Roddy Cat was actually pointing out the fact that he had tea at the ready. Of course, so. <laughs> of course. For these times, uh, Reign of X era to begin in X Men comics at Marvel. So yeah, we kind of we kind of teased this already, but Marvel Comics's current Dawn of X uh, era will come to an end this December, giving way to a new post Ten of Swords status quo under the banner Reign of X. We actually did mention that part about it because yeah, at the end of the the, the preview page for what's coming next at the end of. Uh, uh, Ten of Swords kind of mentions sort of um, the Reign of X era will kick off next week immediately followed uh, this basically this week's um, uh, so it's yeah after this week it starts next week the announcement came in the form of a teaser art drawn by uh, Mahmoud Ashrar tweeted by writer Cyspirior then shared widely by Marvel Though he's not currently known to be working on any X-Men titles, uh, Spurrier has plenty of X-Men experience on his resume, meaning he'll likely be joining the X-Office in some capacity in the Reign of X era. Which, now that I'm thinking about it, um, I was going to mention that I X-Force is not a book that we have right now, correct? I'm sorry? X-Force. X-Force? Yeah, we do... And Percy book, yeah. Okay, so there's okay, so never mind. So that was because I was like, I feel like we're missing a book that that no. hasn't started yet, and I couldn't remember if it was X Force because I know because of the 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 event, you know, kind of muddying some stuff up. Um, I couldn't remember if it was X Force or it could be like you know Gen X or something else that they might pop out for something new, you know. I feel like because I feel like even some of those data pages kind of bore out bore out something. Like when they were talking about like, hey, this is the status of the use of the word X Men and Force Directive and that kind of stuff, kind of bear out that that sounds like there might have been another book coming, but I could could be me thinking thinking some kind of way. Right. I mean, I think uh, I think specifically the X Men um, in terms of uh, you know the group label, right? In, considering that you know it had such. Deep, it has such a, a uh, it has such a deep cachet amongst the uh, amongst the people in the Marvel universe that yeah I understood why they might have ruled as a council to you know stop using that because right. it doesn't represent all of them but uh, you know there's a point in this issue where uh, the name has to come back into use so in that issue X Men number fifteen yeah they they say that in the data pages but yeah and at the uh, the, um, the bottom of this article are basically the, uh, the books that are coming out in the, the month of December um, under the Reign of X uh, banner, which is pretty much all of and including that Wolverine uh, thing. And yeah, X-Force is right there. So there you go. Next up. Next up, uh, Marvel pulls W.E.B. of Spider-Man from their schedule. The absence of W.E.B. of Spider-Man and several other series in Marvel's February 2021 solicitations raised lots of eyebrows. And now we now now we know more about what's happening. That particular series is being postponed indefinitely. Marvel informed retailers late Thursday evening that the first two issues of the series have been unscheduled for the time being, although no reason was given for the change. Uh, read between the lines, however, and a picture emerges. This five-issue series by Kevin Shinnick and Alberto Jimenez Albuquerque is a tie-in to an upcoming Disney Parks ride that was announced to debut in 2021. So I guess they're going to hold it closer to the debut of the ride. 
sure that because that matters a lot. But yeah, it makes sense. Um, also, I I read W E B like that. I think of the the writer W E B exactly. I'm like that's a weird title, but all right. Um, Spider Man remastered on PS5 now supports saves from the PS4 version. And uh, so, yeah, apparently uh, uh, a recent patch from Insomniac uh, has made that uh, thing so. So now if you have the PS4 version of the regular game, um, you know, you can use your save, same save file on the remastered version of the, the uh, 2018 Spider-Man game on the PS5 if you bought, you know, the, the Miles Morales pack with that in it or bought it separately. One of the two. Um, also, uh, they also put the two um, uh, suits uh, back. Well, they did put the new two new suits that they said that they were bringing out uh, that they were going to put in the remastered uh, version into the original version of the, the PS4 Spider-Man because uh, I saw that a couple of days ago when I looked in there. So there's that to look forward to and also the patch to, of this if you're so inclined. Next up. Uh, Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales uh, game names uh, an in-game street after Chadwick Boseman. So with the game out and getting pretty positive responses from fans and critics, um, people can find while adventuring in Insomniac Insomniac's recreation of New York City, there are uh, pretty interesting references and Easter eggs. Most recently, an eagle-eyed player noticed the street named after the late actor Chadwick Boseman. Um, Boseman Way was discovered and shared by Reddit user U slash Raleigh Dell. It replaces 42nd Street and can be found between 1st and 3rd in Midtown on the right-hand side of the map. Uh, Putting Bozeman Wayne's substitute for 42nd Street is likely a reference to the film 42, where Bozeman played uh, baseball legend Jackie Robinson, who played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. That's pretty cool. So between mm. first and third, so uh, so that's like two blocks of 42nd between first and second Avenue. That's like right. Go, it's 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 essentially going right up to uh, to uh, Grand Central Station. What yeah, but but being that the scale of the game is is not to the direct scale, it's probably a little bit less than that. Like it's, it's an amalgamation of it, so they probably compress it to where it's probably like one block instead of two or whatever you're saying. Well, so. first, yeah, I was about to say, so there's no second avenue, right? More than likely, or it's probably second or third. Or sometimes the way they do it, like so they you, they compress the map so that yeah, it's not a one to one to New York. Hey, in real, I was about to say in real life, like I said, that's leading right up to. Uh, uh, what you call it? It's a right. Grand Central Station, so it's it's uh, not quite well. First up to Third Avenue, yeah, it's not quite there, but it's on the way. Right. So, but and that's kind of cool because they've they've done little things like that. Like the, I do remember in the the original the Spider Man game, they did like a, if you are on the side of one one particular building, you could see a, um, a mirror image of the Twin Towers. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in the um, reflection, gotcha. which is a weird thing to come across when when you did not know that, but also it was, it was kind of cool when you notice it. But it was like, wow, that's that's kind of freaky because you turn around, and it's like, wait, that's not there. But also, that's kind of freaky. So, not the first time they've done stuff like that. So, uh, I haven't been able to check this out yet, even though I do have the game, but I haven't played it yet. So, I'll you know rest assured when I come across it, I will be taking pictures. Um, but next up. 
Star Wars C-3PO and Asajj Ventress receive Gentle Giant busts. Uh, Gentle Giant Limited continues to impress with their Star Wars uh, statue busts uh, as they announce two new ones that are on the way. These two new statues span over the Star Wars generations with one from Star Wars Clone Wars and Rise of the Skywalker. Um, Excuse me. Um, up first is from the Clone Wars is Count Dooku's Sith assassin, uh, Asajj Ventress. Uh, she stands six inches tall, but will be eight inches tall with her dual lightsabers are extended. Asajj Ventress will also have a removable cloak, letting the uh, collectors display her how they want. Uh, it, the piece is limited to 1,500 pieces and is a must, uh, according to this article, is a must-have for any fan of the animated series. The next is the C-3PO, was also limited to 1,500 pieces. And apparently, oh, so this is where the Rise of Skywalker thing, it is C-3PO with Babu Frick. Oh, God. <laughs> I was just waiting for that to come from Agent 70. <laughs> Uh, coming from the newest film in the Skywalker saga, C three PO needs a, a new uh, hard repair to repair ancient Sith to read ancient Sith, Sith text. Barbara Frick gladly helps, and now you can bring them both home. Uh, the six inch tall statue bust uh, shows the depowered protocol droid as uh, Babu Frick tinkers with his head. Uh, these busts are highly detailed. Uh, also, I think both of these are going for 120 and set to be released in May 2021. But pre-orders are already live. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. No, yeah, they're pretty much, yeah, 120 bucks for either one of these. Uh, and you can see if you're watching the video, you can see pictures of both of those busts. Next. All right, in video game news, now that the PS5 and Xbox Series X are finally out and competing with one another, gamers can start to see which of the next two of the two next-gen consoles offers the best performance. It's a question that's been debated over for months before their launch, but in the case of upscaling current-gen games like Star Wars Squadrons, it seems like the uh, uh, Xbox... Xbox Series X is at an advantage. Earlier this month, EA revealed that Squadrons would receive a number of enhanced visual options on next-gen consoles, and today those were added in a sizable new patch, Update 3.0, as one might expect. These enhancements bump up the game's resolution and frame rate beyond what the PS4 and Xbox One are capable of, but what's notable is that, for the most part, they are exclusive to the Xbox Series X and Series S. Okay, have fun out there, you guys. But hey, if you got a PC version, you don't probably don't care about that because I'm sure that version is probably going to get it also. Uh, yeah. Um, Green Lantern. So there's footage from a canceled uh, uh, SNES game that resurfaces that apparently has something to do with Green Lantern. So it says gameplay footage from the Green Lantern's canceled 1990s video game has finally surfaced online. Um, a recent installment of a recent of a YouTube series, Game History Secrets, um, which is hosted on a digital gaming channel, reveals that the first ever footage of Ocean Software. Wow, that's a name I hadn't heard in a minute. Uh, Green Lantern game, which was in development for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System before ultimately being scrapped. I believe Ocean is owned by EA, so it'll probably never see the light, or was open owned, owned by EA. I'm not sure if that's still the case. Either way, it's probably not going to see the light of day. 
Uh, for decades, the unreleased project has remained largely shrouded in the mystery, uh, with memories of it being kept alive by archived magazine scans and enthusiast websites picking up the pieces, according to a host of uh, Game History Secrets. Uh, thanks to game, the efforts of Game Historians, then, yeah, we got footage of this game regardless. And you can check it out on the channel mentioned uh, and the video that is in the article, which is in the show notes. Next. All right. Uh, why? Jeff Johns and Jason Fabok are planning a Three Joker sequel. DC's Black Label's Three Jokers may get a sequel. Well, I say may. Hot on the heels of the finale of DC's Batman Three Jokers limited series, writer Jeff Johns says there's talk of a sequel. Jason Fabok and I do have a story that we want to tell that springs off one of the many epilogues written uh, within it. And we can't really talk much more about that right now, though. John's tells CBR. Okay. I mean, I guess it makes sense considering we got Dark Knight's Metal, which is a, a, a spinoff of the, the stuff he did or stuff they did. Um, it wasn't him, not, but yeah. So mm-hmm. it's not surprising that there's more spinoffs and spinoffs and, and this stuff. I know Agent 70 was kind of uh, grunting at this news <laughs> before the, before the uh, show, which I get. Okay. I mean, the series was okay, but I mean, does it really necessitate a, a, a follow up? And that's never stopped. Uh, obviously, that's never stopped. Um, well, DC period, but just I- I- any of the publishers from doing any of this stuff. Yeah, seriously. To quote our man at Eclectic, DC stays losing. <laughs> Definitely. Shout out to Eclectic. Uh, Jason Todd forced to face his internal demons in New Red Hood arc. Uh, and this is an article uh, that is an interview with writer Sean Martinborough, who spoke to Newsarama of, about this two-issue arc that he's he's going to be doing uh, leading into Future State. So it's basically a two-issue arc where uh, Jason Tard that's going to basically send um, apparently Jason back to a place that hasn't a place in Gotham that hasn't really shown up in, according to this, 19 years that uh, Sean Martinborough and Christopher Priest uh, made back then called The Hill. So Jason Todd's going to be visiting there and kind of dealing with some internal issues. And I think a couple of new folks are going to be um, uh, introduced or reintroduced, I'm not sure, I guess reintroduced in this uh, two-issue arc. And since, according to this article, uh, it it can can't really be nothing that's going to be far reaching because things are going into future state. It's just kind of doesn't really have any stakes in it, but it's still some things that's going to get brought up. So, next up, all right, what are we on now? <laughs> Superboy. One of the standout creations of DC's Rebirth era was the reformation of the modern day Super Sun, Superboy, and debuting later this year in challenge of the super sons of a they take a page from modern social media for the big mcguffin doom scroll whoever whomever we can never tell has their name inscribed on this ancient and magical parchment will be killed post haste reads dc's synopsis of the series now the evil powers that be have written the names of the justice league on the deadly dock superboy and robin are the only ones who can save their dads from certain doom a catch? No one can know it was the boys that saved them. 
This Death Note-esque Super Sons limited series is by writer Peter J. Tomasi, along with artists Max Rayner, Jorge, or George Corona, and Evan Stanley. This picks up from Tomasi's two previous Super Sons series, which spun out of his 2016-2017 to run on the Superman title. This debuts December 14th, Digital First, with plans for print editions the following year, in 2021. You have to forgive me, he's getting creepy. Um... It's been a long day for him. So anyway, DC Future States uh, presents DC Future, excuse me, DC Nation presents Future State uh, magazine is now out and people can go and uh, read it online or get it from Comicsology, regardless it's free one way or the other. It's a 32 page uh, um, issue that basically goes into, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the stuff that DC Future State is going to deal with. Um, so you can check that out yourself uh, at the couple of um, places, a couple of links in the uh, show notes. Or if you've already seen it, it's out there on a, a Comicsology. Next up. Last but not least, Tron meets Green Lantern in Image Comics' new cosmic superhero series, Radiant Black. In an electrifying fusion of alien technology and superhuman heroics, Image Comics is presenting a new creator-owned sci-fi fantasy series spawned by writer Kyle Higgins of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and the Rise of Ultraman and acclaimed artist Marcelo Costa of Self-Made that's launching on February 10th, 2021, and Sci-Fi Wire is powering up an exclusive preview of the premiere issue. This refreshing take on the genre is an ode to costumed crusaders, adding a modern sheen to the legacy of superhero stories and hoping to stir the minds of a new generation. Rounding out the creative team on this project are Becca Carey on lettering and series editor Michael Busutil. Radiant Black's plotline stars Nathan Burnett, a frustrated young man who's just turned 30. He's struggling to find his true path in life while enduring two pointless jobs, mounting credit card bills, and the humiliation of having to move back to his parents' house as a last resort. However, things change in a flash when he encounters a miniature black hole one drunken night. Curious as to its meaning, Nathan accidentally unlocks an unearthly ethereal force that transforms him into a super being with the power to radically change his fortunes. But these mysterious powers don't exactly belong to him. Now, the cosmic entities who created them want them returned by any means necessary. Okay. It is, it is interesting that Kyle Higgins is the one who's doing that because, like, like you said, uh, Ultraman, which is kind of the, which is that Rise of Ultraman miniseries, is, I feel like they kind of have shades of this. But I was going to say uh, in passing that there's another article, the first article I found out that I found on this uh, particular. Um, series that is coming up says instead of Tron meets Green Lantern says Spider-Man meets Power Rangers from according according to um, Newsarama so there's two different takes on <laughs> I find it amusing that there's two different takes on you know the, the, the combinations of uh, the same thing which one might be well they, they all can play but I can I see I can kind of see one over the other in this case given what was just mentioned. But that's the thing. I might have to might check that one out, actually, because I've actually been enjoying that uh, Rise of Ultraman series. And I did like um, um, uh, Higgins' um, uh, Power Rangers series. 
uh, or at least from what I remember reading, reading of it. So cool beans. Uh, that is that, and we are coming to the end of this here podcast. Uh, but first, an ad read. And you know what we read when it's late and we want to keep it quick? Keep our podcast free by shopping at Amazon. Visit cspn.us and click the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. Purchase items from Amazon as you normally would, whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry, apparel, or Marvel Legends figures. For every purchase made and made on Amazon through our link, Amazon sends the CSPN a payment... It helps us keep the Comic Book Chronicles podcast free for listeners at no extra cost to Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. All right, folks. Um, yeah, I might have to do something with that last part because you definitely ducked out. Um, so that is it, folks. That's the end of the show. Hopefully, your, your rest of the weekend will go great. Um, this long weekend that a lot of you folks have for some of us, it's just a Friday. Um, thank you very much for being here. I've been Radicat, your host. Uh, you can find me at Radicat on Twitter, News Nurse Need on Twitter, TB Caps on Instagram, Agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram, PC underscore Dirt on Twitter, Pop Culture Net on Twitter, Pop Culture Network.com, and his umbrella sites therein, and also probably still on Byte under comic reviews, no vowels. The Osiris is ish, Tim D O G G nine, eight on Twitter. You can go find him at that. There CB Cron on Twitter, which is the combo Chronicles, um, Twitter account, uh, news nerds. Not, nope, nope. Sorry. He has nothing to do with that. That's just me. Uh, the click nation. However, is him. That's D K L I Q. T-A-T-I-O-N uh, on Twitter and theclicknation.com uh, also of course um, comic group resources where he's over there writing his face off and of course you can find this here podcast on the coast of the podcast network that's cspn.us that's right do it today do it every day boom um, also, you can find this podcast on your podcast personal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, uh, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. Which, again, like I said, the last week's show might have been split into, well, it's been split into on SoundCloud, so don't worry about it. But I'm not sure. It's, it's be, it'll be fine. It's probably in one place, other places. Um, but you can also check us out here next. W- yes, next week. <laughs> so what's. Oh, uh, wait, what'd you say? Because I can't hear you. Oh, we're clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nothing's really going on next week. So, um, yeah, we'll be back here next Thursday night, not Friday. Next Thursday night, same bat time, same bat channel, 9.30ish p.m. on the aforementioned um, uh, Twitch channel. That's twitch.tv slash chronicles or and or you can also watch us at the same time recording on youtube.com slash Nation. This has been... The Combo Chronicles. Peace. Peace. One.